1: Oh, we're coming at you with a pre-Halloween Completely Unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, October 25th, 2016, alongside Ian Ferguson. Hello. I am Pat Contry. Oh, man, we're talking about Nintendo Switch on the podcast. GameStop now accepting retro games nationwide. Making Mario go faster. Uh, A bevy of trailers. Uh, Some maybe political, social stuff we're talking about as well. Q&A. But first, we have a new sponsor, Ian. Yes, indeed. And it's Wix. Do you need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people. That's a lot. Worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. Well, It starts with a stunning website. That's what you need. Uh, with hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, there is no coding E&E. You don't know HTML or Java, do you? I'm not since high school. The, t- then Wix.com would be for you. You know, Or if you don't have a GeoCities account or AngelFire, go to <laughs> Wix is perfect. Tripod. Oh, tripod. Yeah, they were holding out until the end for dear life. Uh, Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. I know that. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to WIX.com to create your own website today. The result will be stunning. Ian. We were uh, just at the biggest retro gaming convention in the U.S., Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Did you have a good time?
0: Yeah, it was It was a lot of fun. It was busy, but uh, it was great. I enjoyed myself at the uh, auction, as per usual. It was nice seeing all of my friends um, have a little bit of the con credit, I guess you could say.
1: Preservationist Frank Sevaldi, Super Collector Steve Lynn. Super journalist Chris Kohler amongst others, right? Yeah, those were
0: those were all the buddies I hung out with, as well as uh Adam Shubb, who's a square painter, uh Norman uh, Caruso, the gaming historian, and Joey Rue Decina, who is uh an expert uh, player of hide and seek, uh, apparently lately. Um,
1: so I'm <laughs> saying he's, he's not in the public eye right now.
0: Yes. Um, but no, I had a great time. It was wonderful meeting everyone. Um, I saw a lot of old faces. I saw a lot of people that I see at cons all over the place and I met a lot of nice new people. Um, so yeah, it was a really good time. Um, it was, I don't know how to describe it. It was one of the blurriest conventions i've ever done and no not because i drank a lot because i did not um it just went by faster than any con i think i've ever done by the time we were getting on the plane i felt like i had been in portland for maybe a day
1: it was not hell on earth but it was not a good weekend for me for, for many weekends i mean uh, i mean it was successful the podcast was fun uh, live, yes, which, it was. Which we're going to insert a por- portion into this one. Um, my own uh, panel was okay. It was fine. It was Sunday afternoon, so it wasn't fully full. It was like 100, 110, 120 people. Well, we did the Play the Punk Challenge. A new, a new Flea Market Madness was shown, which will be out this weekend. Yay, volume, holy shit, 31, I think it is. My God. Um But a lot of it was, uh, you know, the the book tour, so to speak. Selling the books, hawking the books. We had t-shirts to sell. We had pins. We had to hawk our wares, so to speak. And, you know, meet all the great fans. But uh, I didn't have a chance even to check out the arcade.
0: Oh, I didn't didn't Uh, play a single game of pinball, which was probably the biggest bummer of the entire thing. This
1: was the first time I I didn't have a chance to play any arcade machines. I was uh, partially responsible for 13 of the machines featured being found and uh, from various states of disarray and disrepair being, being found, being restored and, and rescued by uh, Toby and Chuck from PRGE, uh, I didn't get a chance to see them, like, or play them. That would have been great. Um, I was asleep by 9.30 Friday night, dead tired, and asleep by, I don't know, 10.30, 11 on Saturday. It, it was just, it was, it was work. And it was it was cool to see people, but I want this I want this to be over. All the I, doing convention every other week for literally four months is, is fucking killing me. Uh, it, it it has to end, uh, and it will after Retro Game Con <laughs> November fifth and sixth in in Syracuse, uh, New York. I'll be there with my pal again, Norm, the gaming historian, who I cannot get away from. Uh, so besides that, yeah, the book's doing all right. There's a new app on the way, and Believe it or not, the, the Ultimate Nintendo NES Collecting and Gameplay app is on its way. Not sure why you're smirking. Should it be smirking? Um, that's coming. And how about, Ian, the 7th Annual NES Marathon? That'll be a good time. For the Children's Miracle Network. That's November 12th and 13th. That's going to come up. That's only two and a half weeks away, but god damn it, we'll make it work. Uh, and that's going to be fun. And, of course, your your donations are greatly appreciated uh, there, of course. And that will be at... uh, Well, it'll be at Ultimate... No, excuse me, UltimateNintendo.com. It'll be at NESMarathon.com, of course, when that gets up and running. Uh, Of course. Uh, And there's more to talk about. It was nice to see an enemy of mine after three years at Portland. The balls on this character. And you ran into them as well. Um, And at some point... It's going to come out about all this, whether it's Can we book. just stop?
0: I just don't care.
1: I just don't care. I, I don't care if you don't care, because <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs>
0: it's just...
1: It's, about, it's <sighs> about what's right and the truth, but that'll come out at some point. No, that's what sure. I mean. When it comes
0: out at some point, that's that's when it's going to be... That's when well, it's, it's, it's going to matter. Called,
1: it's called a teaser. Um, <clears throat> so that's what's going on. Uh, but right before the convention... Uh, there was a reveal about a new Nintendo system, and it was called, and it's going to be called, the Nintendo Switch, and we, had a segue, and we had the pleasure of speaking about it at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, so we're going to cut to it right now, the audio. The news of the day is Nintendo Switch. The Switch, yes. They revealed the Switch. Now, in the last podcast episode, we talked about what would be the launch titles coming up, and if you go back and Watch that podcast Not that Pat is a psyche But I said they got to release the reveal of this Within like a few weeks from now They just have to because they're running dangerously close
0: I seem to remember me saying that it was causing them damage And you oh, no. You said it's causing damage but I said
1: they, they're definitely going to have a release. Not, I'm not some prognificator, is that a word Prognosticator <laughs> Prognosticator <and laughs> pontificator. I corrected myself I write stuff. You have a pulpit. I have a pulpit? You have a pulpit. Just another P word? Yep. Yeah. Okay, anyway. You preach from a pulpit. I don't know what we're doing right now. But the whole point is this. They had to announce it, and they announced it out of nowhere. Yes. Like an RKO on the internet. Mm -hmm. With a three and a half minute... I prefer diamond cutter. Diamond cutter? Ace ace crusher? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) He's throwing up the diamond cutter sign for those wrestling fans. So, a three and a half minute... Release trailer that we can talk all about. I want to get into that. Revealing a few things that most of which we, we knew from rumor and awfully drawn, supposedly leaked pictures from like Foxconn in China. People, I want to let you know something. It's a portable and a console. Uh, that, was, that was the bomb. That the huge. <laughs> well, the one thing is that they're going for like gunmetal gray instead of a white or black, which is I think is sleek. We'll get into that. I think it but looks cheap. But yes, this is going to be a, a hybrid console, but not really, but mainly it's a handheld that just docks to your TV to go on your, uh, to watch your television. It's basically an inverted Wii U, is what we're basically looking at. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough? Uh, so, what did we learn? We learned that the cute little Joy-Con... Controllers looks like a dog with wonky eyes. <laughs> so you can slide them onto the ta- the tablet and use it like a handheld, like a 3DS, mm-hmm. basically, or like a PSP. Those used to exist, right? Um, but then you can also just take the tablet and it has this little. Some phones even have them, the little uh, like little kickstand thing, and you can watch it and then use the little. Use the other one. Use the other one. You can just. Use them totally independently. Like almost like having a, a Wii screen. nunchuck and uh, having the, the wand, right? That the the remote and the nunchuck. Remote, nunchuck, whatever. The whole point is that you have a little more freedom uh, with that, which is interesting. I was also that they actually revealed also, though, like, I guess the Switch Pro controller is what it looked like. Right. At the same time, which will be your standard at this point, crosshair, two X- analogs. Xbox controller. The, the Xbox controller, yes. The standard Xbox controller in the past 10 or 12 years. So, I think it was actually met with more positivity than I thought. Same I was surprised when I was like, it's the end of Nintendo, this is it, we're seeing it right in front of our." It's always the end of Nintendo. But but you didn't see that here. No. You saw that with the Wii U uh, to a large extent. So either it's because people are being rational about this, or uh, they really want Nintendo not to fail. Nintendo's not going to fail anyway. If if no one buys the Switch, it's not like Nintendo's going to go out of business anyway. But... Because Run Mario is going to make a trillion dollars when it comes out, and every other app game is going to come out in the future. Uh, But I I like the fact that people were being level headed about this.
0: Yeah, no, so did I. The trailer was interesting um, because it taught me that uh, 34-year-old men uh, with dogs uh, play video games until <laughs> 6 in the morning. Oh, that's what you learned? That's, <laughs> that's what I didn't 20-year-old hipsters, but okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was that, I also learned that playing fake basketball is more fun than playing real streetball.
1: Uh, <laughs> sure. I don't know what court they were on, by the way. This is like out of a movie. They were like, like on a by a bridge overhead. It was like, it was insane. I also think that a lot of people have rooftop parties, and that's how you introduce them to Mario. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I made a, I made a joke that like this is Nintendo saying we're taking over the world, and if you, you don't have a Nintendo system, uh, grandfather, then you'll be dead, and we're gonna kill you by the time you're thirty. Anyway, there was no old people in this trailer. No, there was no children and no old people. They don't matter anymore. No, they don't. So. This is like some dystopian future where Nintendo's taken over. It's the Nintendo World Order government. And yeah, you're killed off by the time you're 30. And if you don't play Nintendo system, within 20 minutes, uh, the uh, little... Little explosive, in your head's gonna go yeah. off because everyone took their switch from their house. Oh my God, we are no, gonna play. Uh, now I'm on the van playing. Oh my God, now I'm in the airport. Oh my God, uh, they had to play Nintendo systems every second of their day. That's what I got from that trailer. Am I wrong? They were originally going to call it the Nintendo Kill Switch. The Kill Switch. They just <laughs> hey, we're on to something here. They just they have how we build players. I started the thought. Ian slammed it home yeah. like on that court. We, we, we set them up and
0: we knock them down. So what I actually liked about the trailer, though, legitimately, was how they took on um, these relatively non-revolutionary ideas and made them look really cute and fun. Um, if you go back to the basketball thing, I liked how they uh, set up the two screens with the kickstand uh, facing each other, and they had two people playing because it reminded me of the head-to-head arcade machines. And I was like, oh, that's very cute and I would play a sports game like that, that's very interesting. And I loved the um, the way they showed off Splatoon and the people doing the local. It was city. an eSports
1: competitive sort yeah. of like warm up before it being in a, again, this is Nintendo World Order where the only sport you're allowed to watch is our Nintendo games in huge stadiums. That's fine, all <laughs> I want to watch And the then switch if you lose, anyway. the
0: kill switch goes off. Yeah, the kill switch
1: goes <laughs> right <laughs> off in your
0: brain. Okay. And it's not painless, um, it, does, <laughs> it, it will hurt a lot, it's, it's in the uh, EULA. Um, so anyways, I, I just think it's, it's very interesting, um, and it, yeah, some people have complained about the size, oh it's not really portable, well n- n- neither is your Apple uh, iPad. Yeah, these uh, giant iPads, there's some phones that are, are huge that you can't fit in your we've, pocket. We've redefined the definition of, of portable, and if it can fit in a backpack or a bag, it's portable. Um, I'm excited for it for a couple of reasons. Um, it's not because I'm a Nintendo fanboy, it's because I'm a portable gaming fanboy. Um, so I'll own one. Um, the docking to the TV is kind of secondary for me. Um, the other is the Nintendo Switch Partner List. Now. Obviously, uh, people pledged support to the Wii U, and uh, that was great. We got a uh, Batman
1: and uh, Asylum <laughs> special edition. Woo! I think we got uh, Assassin's Creed. Yeah, and we, a Mass Effect. We got a Mass Effect special edition eight months after it came out. Of the we System. had one Madden game. I think, <laughs> if I correctly. That big EA support. We're giving you one Madden game.
0: We uh, we got Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I have like the entire Activision library because I have two friends who work there. And as a joke wedding. Gift. They gave me every Activision game they could scoop up off the ground <laughs> before coming to my wedding. Most of them aren't open, um, and that's fine. They're okay with that. They thought, you know, they're like, here, haha, it's funny. Um, but you look at this, and uh, you know, provided this goes through, this is great. I'd like to focus on what I think is the best partner, though, which is uh, Spike Chunsoft. Um, Spike Chunsoft is fantastic because I'm going to take that as uh, Fire Pro Wrestling confirmed oh, Jesus for Christ the here. Nintendo Jesus Switch. Christ.
1: Sorry, uh, that's that's what I'm excited about. <laughs> but You want to talk about the partners first? Yeah. yeah I mean, So obviously the big hit with the Wii, and the Wii you probably to even a worse extent, was no third-party sport or very weak. So... Of course, these guys, it's not like it's written in blood, but then again, Nintendo hired the Yakuza to go after them in case they would drop out. Uh, you, have, nice you have a nice, nice uh, variety of third-party
0: publishers. We've got Atlas, so you've got, um, you've got RPGs, we've got Arc System you've got you Activision. Got Fighters, you've got Activision, so you've got boring shit no one wants to play. But it's AAA titles that people need to have on the system. It'll sell it. Um, Bethesda,
1: yay, Capcom. You know some stuff. Sega. Uh, code Code Masters with uh, you know Dizzy the, on uh, Switch. Uh,
0: uh, from software. Armored Core Six. Anyone? Come on, Armored Core. Great series. And, but we all love Armored Core, right? DNA. Uh, DNA. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. You made, made the mistake of the podcast You must go uh, How about Square Enix? Square Enix is big What? Even, even bigger is marvelous Because that means I'll probably get a Center and Kagura game on there um, Telltale is big uh, Platinum EA, hopefully who, more than one game Who keeps dropping the ball on things lately But hey, they could turn it around Epic Games e- Epic Games? Yeah, yeah. They're listed. Alright, so we're gonna get Jez the Jackrabbit part three? Is that too
1: deep of a cut? <laughs> Unreal, Unreal <laughs> Tournament? Switch edition? <laughs> Who's wait who, do they do they just of do, do they involve with Years Award at all at this point? Uh uh, I don't fucking know. Okay, take two <laughs> interactions uh, Konami, we're gonna get a lot of Pachinko. <laughs> 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 we're gonna get Metal Gear Solid Zombie Edition. Yeah, know you know it's gonna be good. Ubisoft coming back in uh, once again. Spike Chunsoft. Um So yeah, so it's a hearty list. It's not the big one missing is Rockstar. That's like the if they had Rockstar on board, I think I wouldn't even be like, oh my god, okay, this is a for real, but we're, this is still this is still more than survivable. Oh, That's hold it. on, hold on. We forgot Namco is on board. Okay, yes, we forgot
0: Namco. We've got Namco okay, on so board. Thank
1: you. Mappy we're going to have Mappy Land Part 2. Yes. That's my question. Is everything going to be like. Mario Switch instead of Mario 64, yeah. Mario Wii, Mario Wii, that's gonna be annoying. I really uh, hope not. But, but I think are, really,
0: are, we, are we over that? It's not 99-2002 anymore. Let's go through the trailer
1: though, I was gonna comment on a few things. Besides the fact that Probably yes- Probably covered the bases. The, the, the bases is the middle of it where this guy literally does have to kill Switch in his head, because he goes from in his apartment playing uh, Skyrim, which we'll get into, then sharing the experience at the airport, then on the plane playing uh, Skyrim, and then back home in the the cab playing Skyrim again. So yes, yeah, there's something. That's going on what with Skyrim
0: p- does to people. <laughs> it's just I told my father how to play Skyrim, and In three months he locked three hundred and forty three hours. <laughs> Him and my mom are
1: still married. It's impressive. <laughs> but you have a, you have a Mario Kart game, which looks like just to be probably eight. probably just a remastered Mario Kart eight. Um, you have uh, obviously Zelda, the new Zelda game, which is going to be a launch title that's confirmed, and then you have a Mario platformer, Ian, that looks suspiciously like uh, a follow-up to Mario 64. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. only about eight seconds of it, but is, that could, be the, could that be the secret game that was revealed to me before? That is, a, is a platformer? With... I, I don't know. Are they eating watercress sandwiches on the your... <laughs> rooftop? <laughs> I don't know. Again, everyone's like between 21 <laughs> and 27 years old. They're all like upper-middle class. Very nicely dressed. So why do you think Nintendo decided we don't want to market towards kids anymore? Um, because kids don't have money in their fucking pockets. <laughs> well, their parents do.
0: Yeah, but... the, the, Wii, the Wii, I have this conversation at the store all the time. Video games aren't marketed towards kids anymore. They haven't been marketed towards kids for at least a decade. They're marketed to a 25 to 45-year-old demographic. Nintendo's... Uh, is this like the form of the Sega Genesis? Like this is for teens and the, adults? The benefit of Nintendo is if you, if, you, if you have a family and you buy a Nintendo, it's easy to find games that your kids can play. But
1: that's just... It's not how they market it anymore. They figure they have the kids in the bag base—not literally in the bag, but it, you know the kids are gonna. The kids will want this from Mario games. Just bagging kids, just and- slam against trees, <laughs> like the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. bag. What? Well, speaking of Friday the Thirteenth, push back till next year. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, so the other thing that's interesting about this is that the stock price fell six percent about after the announcement, despite the enthusiasm. So remember, stock prices are all, uh, it's the confidence of the people owning the stock. That's basically it's the confidence of the company. I'm not sure why you wouldn't have confidence in this. Because it's, like, it's not like Wii U's are flying off the shelf and 3DS sales have slowed to a, a crawl because the system's been out for what, five, six years at this
0: point. I think it's even longer.
1: <laughs> so this is a follow up to, for the first time really ever, it's a follow up to a handheld console and as well as a traditional uh, TV console, right? Even though that's what Nintendo's saying, it's like, oh well, it's you know, it's going like, to be a handheld. It's not going to replace the Wii U and yeah, okay. uh, the someone,
0: someone joked on Twitter because we talked about it. It's the uh, third pillar. They're going to continue to support the 3DS yes. and the Wii U, but uh, the Switch is going to
1: run concurrently with it. Sure. <laughs> so uh, I surmise just, DS. just that all the people that had the 3DS will probably buy us for the most part. Guilty. And then some of the people that bought the Wii U and not the 3DS, which there aren't many. If you bought the 3DS, you pretty much bought the Wii U, but not vice versa. So we're looking at we're looking at uh, sales probably above the Wii U I can confidently say but maybe below the 3DS as a safe bet and even that'll be a success though if like, yeah. even if it's somewhere in the middle you'll like triple the amount of Wii U sold uh, from the from the Wii U to this yeah so Agreed. in terms of that you're successful but I think the ceiling is going to be higher you know I think a couple things
0: are important to consider that will really affect it if. If this is to be taken seriously as a, 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 you know, Ian, Uh, a portable uh, follow-up battery life has to be a concern. Sure. Um, I think they've got to really shoot for at least four and a half to five hours on it. Um, It's using a
1: a version of the NVIDIA Tegra chip. Custom chip. Um, So who knows? Who knows if they figure some magic out there that... But
0: powerful, but can also... It's got to be least—it's four and a half to five hours. Uh, Three-hour battery life isn't going to cut it. Um, also, the backwards compatibility already seems like it's being botched. They've already uh, said that no physical... Well, of course, there can't be physical backwards compatibility with Wii U games. There's no disk drive. Um, I'm kind of surprised there's no backwards compatibility with physical 3DS games given that it's a cartridge slot, and they probably oh, could have...
1: Card. card. <laughs> it? It looks like a big are back! No, they're not. Uh, it's a card. It, it looks like a it's big piece a of <laughs> uh, um, It's basically going from, like, uh, the standard uh, flash media to, like, compact flash. Like, it's a, yeah. like a thicker card. So I'm surprised because they
0: specified physical, which leads me to think that there might be some way to transfer digital purchased um, digitally purchased 3DS or Wii U games over to this this system Um, obviously there's not a ton of info out there but then that leads me to wonder is this a touch screen and if not then how would the 3DS games work would you black bar them on the side would you divide it in half I mean how are you doing this I would think for menu operation it
1: would have to have a touch screen I think that would make sense but it
0: doesn't show anyone touching it
1: well, they're also wild-eyed and crazy playing this game. In- 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 they the want to stay alive. Exactly, they want <laughs> <stay alive. laughs> to stay must alive. Let's play, play huddled in the van. Let's <laughs> play after basketball. You know, uh, I I think <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, that's a bizarre trailer. That's a, We're, we're <laughs> talking about the song, which to me is like an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of a it's a... Bizarrely jaunty tune, jaunty kind of
0: jazzy that ballad. Playing a <laughs> It's not good.
1: It's not good. Anything else would have been better What if they did this, Ian? Okay. No backwards. Compa- no backwards compatibility. Uh-huh. But we know your account's probably going to be crossing over to yes. this from the Wii U. Mm-hmm. We know what you bought, what you registered. For a nominal fee of ten or fifteen bucks, you can download the remastered version of Splatoon that you already bought before. Yeah, I mean something like that. Is that out of the realm of possibility? No, it's not. Maybe that maybe that's the way they get make, make more money doing that, but also then uh, the fans will be won't be ultra pissed off because they're still getting thrown a bone. Even though it's is gonna be a bone out of their pocket.
0: Bone, 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 bone. What she gonna do? Anyways, uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> bone thugs in harmony. Uh, oh. that would be totally okay. Yeah, I would Oh, I'm fine, the one but, uh, bad
1: singing now. <laughs> We're both see you at the cross, cross roads. Cross, cross, cross. Anyways. Give it long. Okay. Let's stop. <laughs> All right. Let's stop. So, again, they showed off Skyrim for like half of it with that crazy guy who could not, not play Skyrim. So you'd assume that would be on the system, since it's coming back remastered to the other consoles. Yes. Um, they, have, they confirmed that there will be Amiibo support, because that made Nintendo a jillion dollars, so there's no reason not, that not to come back, even though I'd say 90% of the people aren't actually using it for their games. or just having little toys. I just kissed them goodnight. You just kissed them goodnight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that controller? Like, the, honestly, the puppy talk, dog controller? Puppy dog controller. I like it. You like the color scheme, the no. dark and light gray? No, I think that looks cheap and shitty, but I, I mean, I, I like the actual, like, shape but, of the but you controller. like the fact that they're focusing on local multiplayer? Though. Yes. Like, that's a. Sh- no, that's That's huge. been lost the past, like, 15 years. You have to understand that the majority of the time when I play video games, it's on
0: Sunday nights and I have people over and we all sit around and dick around and suck at video games and it's a load of fun. <laughs> um, and so the fact that they're focusing on local multi, mul, uh, local multiplayer is fantastic. Um, just this, like I said, the Splatoon part alone got me uh, incredibly excited. Um, and I want to see more of that. And it, it's It's weird, like I said, that I'm excited about it because they're making these aspects seem somewhat revolutionary when they're not exactly because me and all my friends could have sat around with our 3DS's and played Smash, but you can do that on a TV, and not everyone owns a portable system. The fact that this is being pitched as a portable on a console means that I think there's a chance more people will own it.
1: Well, some people are complaining that the analogs are at opposite ends, but that's because if you take out both, you can use both with two different players, and they have the same orientation. You have four, no D, you have four buttons, and four buttons on the other one with two, with an analog on each, so they're actually reversed of each other. So Those wieners
0: can quit crying because the analogs aren't... I'm, Fuck, look at a 360 controller. They're not on the same sure. sides there. But this
1: is what... I don't think I've seen anyone bring up yet, but I'm not saying I'll be a genius for, for predicting this, but Nintendo, please take my idea and run with it. What if they just sell, like, retro Joy-Cons? You slide them on, and all of a sudden, okay, there's your N64 setup. There's your GameCube no, setup. No, I
0: think Nintendo there's
1: plans your, on that, and I yeah. was
0: joking with someone in the story the day that I really want them to
1: release a fishing game with a slide-on Sega Bass fishing style. Well, I actually saw a, a, a Kickstarter for a handheld PC trying to do something like that where it wasn't slide on though it was like just popping on the front face of it Mm -hmm. but with this though nintendo can make their nes version of this super nintendo or the retro one sell it for 15 dollars and they'll sell like a million of them yeah it'll cost them like a dollar to produce you know so in terms of business savvy that's a first now i think we'll i mean it's nintendo they love gimmicks
0: and gadgets we'll definitely see modular type controllers I think we'll see some specialty ones and no seriously give me the fucking fishing controller because I will <laughs> sit there and I will
1: play Sega Bass Fishing all day and day Bass Fishing Switch that's what it's going Re- remastered Ian remastered so I, uh, not much else to say in this right now except there's supposedly no more news until next year then they'll start probably the big oh, marketing cool. push. we'll just sit here and like but they had to put something out and now people are excited except for the people that own the stock for some weird reason I think this is not Nintendo shooting to the top, but I think this gets them back in the mix. And I think this is gonna... Not that Sony and, and Microsoft can follow suit with something that's similar, because there's such more powerhouses of consoles that would be hard to do what Nintendo's doing here. But I think this will be respectable. Can I, I get it? in Classic Nintendo Indigo, though? That's what I want. Classic Nintendo Indigo? Yeah, they, there was a period where that was their color, man. Game, Game, Game Boy Game.
0: Cube, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, GameCube. Oh, they loved that.
1: They also of. put handles on their systems, which was insane. But That was wonderful. <laughs> okay. All right, so the Switch doesn't have a handle, but it has a nice dock. which is We don't have the specs on that yet. What exactly? Well, obviously is it's going to probably give you more power to go to the TV and Wi-Fi-ish or Bluetooth-ish. I don't know. All right. We, is that it for this? Are you guys excited for this Switch, honestly? Yeah. <laughs> Who thinks this game would be trash? Honestly. (laughs) I heard it. So, who here, honestly, uh, by applause, who will buy this? (laughs) Who here here has a Wii U? Okay, so this is not the sample audience. (laughs) This is not the sample sample audience. audience. (laughs) We're Nintendo fanboys, you're Nintendo fanboys. On to the Q&A! And we're back! Back. I hope you enjoyed (laughs) us speaking about the Nintendo Switch at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Oh, boy. Speaking of used games, Ian, it was announced today on October 25th, when we're recording this, that GameStop originally tried it in New York and in the Louisiana area, accepting trade-ins on retro games that they were selling online. To various degrees of success, <clears throat> mm. uh, and now they decided to go nationwide, accepting trade-ins for retro games at every store. Wow! Um,
0: I think they may have been slowly rolling this out to other stores. Uh, I think it was Birmingham, Alabama, where they, uh, and New York, where they started it, uh, and, <laughs> I, 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 and I think they had been slowly trying to roll it out to some other locations. Anyway. Um, it is interesting that they've rolled it out um, nationwide apparently it's been doing well enough for them um, I don't know it, what's I don't have a huge opinion on it honestly um, the prices are okay but not ultra competitive um, I still think it's it's gamestop dipping their hand in... in in too many piles. Uh... and I don't know... I just don't know how exactly... this will work out for them... other than... I still don't know... in, in, in the long run... how they're going to beat... eBay... conventions... other online retailers... the only thing that I can think of... is people who... want to trade in new games... Um, and use credit for uh, old games if they don't have, say, a, uh, a, a local video game store, like an independent one that deals in everything. Um, but, you know, their track record, uh, you know, hasn't necessarily been great. Um, granted, a lot of that has probably been amplified by the stories online. Uh, but it, it's an interesting move. Now... What their fucking son of a bitch. I'm David Hatham and this is IGN News. GameStop COO Tony Bartel has commented on new or upgraded...
1: God damn it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So...
0: (laughs) Let's reverse 30 seconds. So... um what they've expanded so they're going to be taking Sega Genesis Super Nintendo Game Boy Color all the systems that they've been taking new ones Saturn uh, and yeah and anywhere uh now so you can trade those in um but it's still online only uh and but they push this in-store thing where you can go in store and they will guide you through the process of ordering online it's still not a it's still not purchasable in store and i don't And I understand why they don't. GameStops are incredibly tiny shoeboxes for the most part. They they can't display this stuff among everything else. It would be a nightmare for uh, the workers. Now, it's not impossible. I mean, a place like Luna and other places like us um, do display everything. But it would be it it is kind of a nightmare and I've always said you have to be nimble and know what you're doing to be able to do that. Um, But I don't I I just don't see a huge return on this for them. If if you don't offer the convenience of being able to walk into a GameStop and pick up a Super Nintendo, I don't see how this is going to affect them hugely in the long run. It's not going to generate enough profit, necessarily, to help them. I don't know. uh, You always hear about how GameStop's in financially dire straits, and I don't know that this is necessarily going to turn things around.
1: Well, it's going to... Sap the supply of retro games even more, and we're gonna talk about that in a later topic. That's somewhat related. So you are gonna have this taking out because let's let's face it, this isn't this isn't like a mom and pop shop that can advertise, you know, just locally. Hey, come in and trade your games. This is a national chain that say, hey, they have the the biggest exposure on the internet. Hell, they can have they can run TV fucking ads saying, now bring us your retro games if they want to. This is a potential to be like. Not a watershed moment for retro games being traded in, but this will definitely up the ante if they have a campaign to do this. The question is if they're going to keep all these games out of circulation for a certain amount of time before putting them back in. You know, this would be a massive amount of games that can come in versus a couple of errors or even a few more that they tested. If you're talking the whatever thousand or so plus store GameStop stores that are out there, and all of a sudden you have all these, you know, a hundred times the amount of games coming in than before, they got to all come in. Like get tested by their crack shot team, which will take a huge amount of time and then dealt with and distributed. So this is a logistics issue. This isn't just the, the, the games coming out of circulation is when do they get put it, back in and how? Well, and we've also
0: talked about uh, previously, and that's where I thought you were going, but uh, you make it, you made a good point, but um, to bring it back up again, this is not a company that's necessarily been known for uh, preservation. Um, you know when they started running out of space for ds games they started just tossing the boxes and manuals uh you know if a game comes you know but what what do they do if this doesn't work for them how do they clearance this out are they going to dumpster this i mean what, what what are they what are they going to do and and that's kind of uh that's disconcerting to me is um you know are are they going to take a large number of games out of circulation and what happens if this doesn't work?
1: Yeah, so you have the let's say Genesis, Super Nintendo, Game Boy Color, regular Game Boy, right? Dreamcast, Saturn, GameCube, Nintendo Sixty Four, Game Boy Advance, PlayStation, Xbox, and the original NES. That's the vast majority of retro systems that are popular to collect. For this point, there's no Turbo Graphics, which has you know been on the rise the past few years, and uh, they, even they don't care about Atari Twenty Six Hundred Colecovision or that era. Uh, be prepared. To see, I think, depending on how many people trade these in, I don't know. You can look at it two ways. You can look at it as the market getting potentially uh, deprived of games that could be going to mom-and-pop shops or eBay, and then stuck in a warehouse for two years, never to see the light light of day, or, or maybe you'll see them eventually. Or you can have a deluge of these games coming in that people wouldn't be maybe trustworthy to sell on themselves or wouldn't have the time into GameStop, and they find an efficient way to distribute them, and then maybe prices come down because people aren't buying those games they'd be looking for on eBay at a GameStop or online. I don't know. But I'm leaning towards the fact that this is not good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, on the... on, on our end um, to see if this affects the amount of games we get in. Now, I'd be interested in seeing what GameStop offers. I mean, we'll just have to see... Um, generally a lot of the GameStop employees in this area um, will casually send people our way for all sorts of things because frankly we give better credit and better um, cash than they do Uh, so maybe it won't affect us maybe it will Um, yeah it'll be interesting to see but it will be a bummer if we start seeing less stock come in
1: speaking of GameStop and Bad News of Retro Games. <laughs> Another tale of the reproduction counterfeit game, Ian. This yeah. comes to you from uh, Reddit, the game collecting Reddit, which I really should go on more. And it's entitled, So GameStop reproed Me Again. Facepalm. So it seems this person <laughs> ordered a Mega Man 5 and received it. And just looking at the label, you can tell, ooh, that's a really dark, dark, saturated, oversaturated label. Yeah, it's label.
0: gross. It's...
1: <laughs> and then opens it up, and you have a nicely, looks like Eeprom, uh, badly soldered <laughs> board there. It's like triple-wrapped wire. Uh, so, where can you go from this, besides the fact that, Uh, Oh, we're mentioning the Reddit. (laughs) I just (laughs) noticed that. I noticed that on this Reddit page. That's so funny. Um, There's no testing being done. We're going to reiterate this just because we just spoke about it. Another topic, the fact that nationwide you're going to have a field day happening. People making these, either making cheap Reproduction cards, or most likely buying them for $10 on AliExpress and flooding the market via GameStop with these games.
0: Yeah, if it's nationwide and they're not doing any testing in store, and even if they are doing testing in store, which they wouldn't, but I mean, they're, they're not. Um, I mean, if the people can't determine a Reaper label from a real label, I mean, they would really need. God, this is just so awful now, the more I think about this Astro. nationwide thing. Um. Yeah, it's just gonna be bad, and I mean, I already do when like um people come in with you know shady stuff. But uh, I mean, it's like when I, when people come in with repro stuff. Like I call the local Game Stops, and I'm like, hey, there's a dude who's coming around with like you know I'm, I'm gonna have to start calling the Game Stops and being like, okay, there's a guy with ten bootleg
1: Pokemon games. Jesus <laughs> Christ! But they don't have any incentive to not take it. You know, because it's not, like, it's not like your store where you can affect the bottom line. They're a, they're a store out of one out of a thousand stores. You know, it doesn't. Well, I guess it depends
0: on. It. I guess it depends on if they track the stuff. Yeah, but by then it's probably too late. I
1: guess they're gonna have to. They're gonna have to have a specific tracking number for each game cover that comes in with a, a person's license because if, because let's let's face it. If someone comes in with it with a steam events, and they're accepting a game that's that valuable, and it looks like they are accepting games so far that are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. If they, if they decide to accept a game like Steam Events, which is worth thousands and thousands, and if someone is trying to swindle them, that's a felony, trying trying to sell a counterfeit item like that to trade it in. So this is something GameStop has to really take seriously if they want this to be a nationwide endeavor and really have it be successful.
0: This totally looks like an AliExpress one, too. Like, it doesn't even look like there's screws on the back. It looks like it was slapped together with glue.
1: You're right. You, you can see it, the, the hole in the middle there. It, it's... Pl- plastic. It's really bad. Yeah, it doesn't look like a, a,
0: a good counterfeit at all.
1: Yeah. So, be prepared, Ian, for I don't know, fifteen thousand more of these stories in the coming year or <laughs> two. Yeah.
0: People continue to speed run Super Mario Brothers, and uh, you know the the drops, you know at this point are by milliseconds or seconds. Um. But it's getting really interesting as uh, um, as time goes on, and there's been a there was an article on five thirty eight that was uh, quite interesting uh, about how people are making Super Mario go faster than ever, and it kind of focuses on two characters, uh, Brad Myers, who's a speedrunner and has uh, recorded nearly twenty two thousand. Uh, recorded attempts at speed runs, Jesus. and um, uh, Chris Millings, who's not a speed uh, Chris Milling, who's not a speedrunner, uh, but he hunts for glitches in video games, and then finds these glitches that can you know maybe boost someone's speed run by you know a few milliseconds or whatever or a few frames, and then you know kind of gets those out to the speedrunning community for people to uh, try to exploit. So. Um, you know, the things they talk about is, you know, the reason why this comes up is a, a new glitch has been found that allows you to kind of, uh, hit the flag on the first level through the block that the flagpole stands on, which allows you to bypass the flagpole animation, which dropping. yeah, the flagpole dropping, which, um, you know, definitely shaves time off your speed run. You combine that with what's known as the Fast 4-2 glitch, which allows you to uh, make two block bumps, which skips you, I believe, like 21 frames or something. And then there's another glitch, which allows you to skip a vine animation, and uh, no one's been able to pull off all three, but these would drastically speed up your time. And there's an interesting graph that shows over time like how the speed has fallen. And, you know, since...
1: um Souls-like started before 2004. It was was about 5 minutes and 25 seconds. By 2008, it dropped about 15 seconds... Excuse me, about about 20 seconds to 5.05. By 2011, sitting at 5 minutes. And then little small incremental drops starting around 2013 to to now uh, with looks like quarter-second increments. These are like small, minor glitches. Right, little little clusters. Uh, So we're getting to the diminishing returns now with these in terms of pure skill. Say, uh, 10, 12 years ago, this is a skill in avoiding everything going quickly. Now it's, it's evolved beyond that to finding tricks and glitches.
0: But you know, in the in the speedrun community, you know every every little bit counts, and that's sure. huge. Um, and it's interesting too because you know you look back in 04, and the the, the tools that someone like Chris Milling would use uh, to kind of find uh, you know the, these these tools to find these glitches probably weren't as advanced as they are now. So you know now they're finding you know more and more interesting ones, um, you know back when uh there was uh the the 8-4 uh wall jump was discovered and i mentioned that once And i remember people being like oh, there's no wall jump in super mario 1 like yeah yeah there is you mean it's the backwards a, one up the pipe glitch um it's like you have to hit like a block at like a like a specific pixel and it allows you to do a jump of some sort i, I don't remember it specifically i think
1: i think it's that backwards one on the pipe i believe you hit it backwards and you jump on, okay it, I think.
0: Um, but so it, it's just it's interesting because you always think you're going to hit that that absolute maximum, and in in I suppose if you think about it in that you know flawed if you put a million monkeys and you know an infinite amount of monkeys in a, on typewriters you know you'll get you know Shakespeare or something like that if you did this forever you could probably find a perfect run but when you think about a game like Mario Brothers there's so many variables and there's so many things that are going on and it was such an early game with you know uh, with the code involved that who knows how many more glitches there are out there to discover and while while the data shows on this graph that yes for many years the drops have definitely slowed to, you know, minor drops and we may never get, you know, much further below four minutes and fifty seconds. All it takes is a huge glitch to be discovered like, you know, back in O four that drops it, you know, ten seconds to blow it all wide open again. So it's interesting, you know, um uh, I'm a person who finds comfort in doing certain things repetitiously and uh you know there are people out there who must as well you know just trying to constantly better that one thing um, I think speedrunning would drive me nuts though to get halfway through something <laughs> and to have to hit reset 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 Well that's know. part of
1: the game though. Oh I'm sure for you
0: them know. yes for that's me that would drive me insane. <laughs> but well, I mean well, I find it I find it fascinating. Well it's only a 5 minute speedrun so you're not
1: wasting it. Sure. Amount of time. I mean once you get that good, yeah, you're right. It's like it's not like a Contra, you know, no death run where mm-hmm. that'd be more interesting that there's glitches of games like that you can find, but it seemed like to me, those games is more about just the pure skill and you know, the placement where whereas this is like, yeah, you have to find all the glitches and have some luck, it seems. It seems mm-hmm. like there's some things that, that you have to hit where it doesn't always happen. Um, there's like, always that bullet bill trick, uh near the flagpole, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Where You know, uh, you can mistime things very easily, but it seems like a little bit... It's not luck, but... It's, you can't no, I don't be, think there's any. Well, it can't. You can't be off a, a thousandth of a second, basically, for some of these things.
0: Yeah, like you know? I think one of the tricks. I think it's like the fast four two. They say is like a three percent chance, even if you've practiced it like perfectly. Yeah. Uh, something like the 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 level one one. You know, going through the block uh, to skip the flagpole animation. That one's a little bit easier. That's more of like a twenty percent chance if you've you know pulled it off. Or if you've practiced it, but then I don't know what the percentage is on the uh, the vine, and it's not like that Holy Trinity you know gives you the perfect time or the best time, but you know the unknown percentage of the vine trick plus the three percent of the fast four two plus the twenty percent chance of the level one one. I mean, you're talking astronomical odds to be
1: able to pull this off. There's a great five thirty. If you don't know, mostly covers political. Polling and percentage, but they cover sports, not everything else in culture. Um, they have a, they have a nice uh, graph here comparing four different things. So, Super Mario Brothers in 2002 was at about five minutes. Uh, let's see, five point four minutes. So, it's dropped twenty seven point eight one seconds since 2002. That's a huge chunk. Yeah. Um, cup cup stacking. You know, people like to stack the cups. Yeah. Um, since 2002, it's gone from 7.5 seconds to five seconds. Uh, so that's a huge percentage too. Mm-hmm. That, that's a that's a third. Uh, Rubik's cube, 2003, it was at looks like it was like about uh, 16 seconds or so, 16 and a half, and now it's done to five seconds. That's since 2003. That's massive. And the man and the one that's actually you know. Olympic sport men's 100 meter dash small much smaller percentage uh kind of hard to glitch that yeah <laughs> uh, looks like a little under 8, 9.8 seconds uh, since 2002 and now with usain bolt it's at nine about 9.57 or so so that's a much smaller increment but it shows that everything you know everything gets quicker but eventually you have diminishing returns it's not going like to you ever run a A 100 meter dash in two seconds. You know, unless you have robo legs. Yeah. Which I don't think the Olympics will allow uh, for that. So, Ian, what's your best uh, ducktail speed run? We can try that eventually. Want to get to that community?
0: Uh, Back when I got good at it, I've never glitched in ducktails uh, because, frankly, I didn't know them. But um, my best time at non-glitching was uh, 13 minutes 7 seconds. I think.
1: Want you to start going on Twitch every day and practicing time and time again the speed run thousands of times even before you get it right <laughs> really the
0: question is do i want to do it with glitches or no glitches i think at this point i would probably just have to do glitches
1: <laughs> we spoke about last year the kickstarter for friday the 13th wow it's been like a year ago i think all right holy shit if
0: not longer i think we've talked about it twice maybe even uh
1: so this was going to be a multiplayer game uh, where one person would be the role of the killer Jason Voorhees, and you had a team of counselors or teenagers, what have you, of various strengths and types—the <laughs> jock, the nerd, the slut—you know, all all the archetypes from the movies—having uh, their roles to try to outsmart Jason and stay alive during the night. It sounded like a pretty cool idea for yeah. for a, you know, a multiplayer game, where you have to team up. So, at the time, the complaint was that there was no single player campaign that was going to be involved with this, that you had to play online multiplayer. So, for better or for worse, the developers are now offering a single player mode uh, to the game. But they are delaying it. Originally, it was supposed to come out right about now. Right. It's come out in October uh, of this year.
0: And it's been pushed back to early 2017. Um. The single-player mode is going to be bare-bones, it seems, and I think it's being offered as a consolation. I don't think that's the reason why it's it's being delayed. Um, because plenty of games these days are released without single-player modes, and no one gives a shit. Uh, I mean, look at the wild success of a game like Overwatch. No one gives two fucks that Overwatch doesn't have a single player mode. I mean there are people who would well, like it, but uh, I mean it hasn't hurt it any.
1: I think I think though that being that this is based on a movie and movies usually have a story, single player makes sure. more, more sense to have that. Oh and it's not like it would be hard to put this in.
0: I'm not I'm not saying that it does it shouldn't have one or it wouldn't be cool for it to have one, I'm just saying that People would still buy it and play it, and I, I, I'm not, I like I said, I don't think that's the reason it's being delayed. But the fact that they're adding it in as a consolation for the delay is very nice. It, but it's, it is going to, they basically said straight out, it's just going to be bots, you know. You, so you know, it'll give you a way to practice. What's nice though is unlike Mighty Number no. Nine or Bloodstained, this is a reasonable delay, and they're apologetic about it and they're offering consolation. Sure. To, they're, they're, to, put,
1: they're putting in modes that were originally uh, stretch goals that they said, okay, we're just going to put this in on the side, which is nice. Well, that, yeah,
0: that's the first. Yeah, that, that's actually, yeah, I forgot that. The, the single-player mode was a stretch goal that was not met, and now due to the delay, they're like, okay, we'll put this in. That, I think that's a very nice gesture on, on their part.
1: And the beta release will be late 2016. And this is actually pretty cool. Everyone's purchased the game will be given four additional beta-only keys to hand it to friends so you can play it together. Right. That's actually a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. It's actually really smart, too, because then you could test the game how it should function. And then it's free advertising. I was going to
0: say, and then you can talk your friends <laughs> into buying the game. Well, you can
1: talk me into it, Ian. Uh, I did see... Uh, this is I'm going to off, go off the topic a little bit tangentially. They release, uh, you a know, video of, of some of the kills in the game. And I don't know if I'm too squeamish or not. Some of them are 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 a little bit too. I don't want to say graphic, but unneeded, unnecessary. They're like boring, on Mortal combat sort of fatalities. It's like you know, Jason. Trust me, I like I like the Friday Thirteenth kills, but they're quick to the point, usually over. And these are like seeing the people trying to like pull the machete out of themselves and stuff. And it's just like, eh, that's not that's that's not why I want to play this game. It is. I understand they want to do it, but that's to me that's sort of missing the point a little bit. But what are you gonna do? It's weird to
0: me because I can play Mortal Kombat and it doesn't bother me because I just I guess I find so much of it to be tongue in cheek. Yet it's really hard for me to watch um, like sla- certain slasher movies. And I, I sure as shit can't watch that torture porn shit, like, Maybe that's what it is. In, is it, in that it's, sort it's, of thing. It's
1: because in this situation, it's not Mortal Kombat where it's built in and it's two characters fighting each other. Sure. And, uh, where it's almost like a, they're like fake deaths, it, uh, you can say, in Mortal Kombat. Okay, yeah. Does that make sense? Because
0: they come back immediately and yes. fighting against each other again. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of get what you're saying.
1: You know, you do a fatality and it's like, all right, and right, we'll see again after I put another quarter. And this is permanent, especially in this game mode. Like, that's it. Right. You're done for whatever that round and it's probably, plus you're at a, a huge disadvantage being 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 hunted and stalked by a much more powerful almost indestructible monster so it's a little bit different, not saying oh Pat, you're, you're a baby, your pussy's not like it it just isn't my cup of tea when it comes to that, I still want to play the game though, Sure, but I just think the emphasis on all of, well you get we you, on the Kickstarter stretch, oh there's, we're adding 15 more deaths, it's like alright, come on At least there's variety
0: onto the same one every
1: time. Sure, that's fine. Um, So it's going to be on PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, but the beta will only be available on PC. Uh, Yeah, they they were cool. They actually kind of reached out to us after we spoke about it originally, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think they responded to my NES Friday 13 tweet at the time. Uh, Happy Halloween everyone. You're not getting your game right now, but Hopefully you have a nice single-player campaign that you can always sink your teeth into when you're not killing your friends. This is the right way to do a delay. Hey, Ian, we like Loot Crate, right? Yeah! Yeah. Are you on a quest, Ian? For epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate offers an epic range of pop culture items for less than 20 bucks a month. If you're more of a fanatical fashionista than Loot wear, it uh, was a monthly wearables and accessory subscription. It will fill your closet with cult classics and your favorite franchises. The loot wear last month was actually pretty freaking cool. Mm, what was it? Uh, you get socks almost every month, right? Uh, <laughs> People love fun socks. <laughs> you get fun socks. But there was a t-shirt and also like a freaking, I think there was like a sweatshirt in there or oh. something. So it was like a decent amount of stuff. Maybe I'm wrong, but I remember there was being like something. Oh, no, it wasn't a sweatshirt. It was a, It was a jersey. It was oh, a sweater jersey cool. in there. And I was like, holy shit, this is pretty substantial for loot wear. Um, if you want to get fancy, you get the bigger box, which is a Loot Crate uh, DX. So here's the theme. for for Ready for, for November? Mm-hmm. Ready your wands, Ian. Pre-measure your positions and get ready for November's enchanting theme. Magical. <laughs> uh, we've cast a powerful ancient spell to deliver you this 100%, 100% exclusive. exclusive crate featuring bewitching items from Doctor Strange, the movie's coming out, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that's going to be huge, and Big Trouble in Little China, (laughs) Ian's favorite new movie, and more. (laughs) You have until November 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate, and when the cutoff happens, that's it, it's over. Ian's excited for Big Trouble in Little China, I'm sure. I did enjoy the film, I did. After a year, hold on, that Blu-ray. Uh, be sure to head to com slash pat enter code pat to save 10% off any new subscription today I am looking forward to that and uh, hey American Express card members I'm one I've been an American Express card member for like Jesus, like 12, 13 years. There's never been a better reason to get out and shop small in your neighborhood because now through December 31st, you can earn two times your rewards when you shop small with an enrolled American express card, learn more and and enroll your eligible card today at American com slash shop small offer. It always feels two times as good to support local stores. Maybe like Luna video games.
0: It has been nice ever since, uh, they, they, they started this initiative. Um, um, people have been much happier uh, being able to use American Express at smaller businesses because uh, the fees have been a lot lower. I think we don't even get I think it's something like we don't even get hit with fees now.
1: And now it's two times as rewarding. Prepaid and corporate cards cards issued by other financial institutions. The Plum card and certain other cards are not eligible. Reward cap and other terms apply. So get out there and use your American Express at small businesses. Uh, Ian will thank you later. So, Ian, we're both very excited for Star Wars Rogue One. I realize I have less to say
0: about this than I thought, but um, it it solidified the fact that I am actually quite excited for this movie. Um, I saw it. I really don't like watching trailers, but um, I'm definitely ready for it. I think the cast looks great. Um, Some of the new scenes they showed were pretty cool. Um, I I do think the little bit of story that it, that they 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 trickled out in this new trailer um, with her father uh, adds a little bit more uh, interest mm. uh, uh, to the story for me. Um, also, it showed, I, I I liked this trailer a lot because it showed um, a lot of Gareth Edwards' darker directing style. That I felt was missing from the first real trailer that, that, you know, the, the non-teaser one that I loved so much, Uh or the teaser one that I loved so much. But it did a good job of balancing, um, some of that brightness and levity that they were hoping for, or trying to add into that second. Cause I, I thought the, I thought the teaser trailer was great. I thought that other trailer was kind of trash. And this one I felt was kind of a good mix of the two.
1: Getting, he had some little humor, but it was mostly... It, it, it was
0: a very... Yes, it was, it was a good mix of what I wanted to see.
1: I'm kind of split on the whole father thing. I, Maz Mikkelsen is an awesome actor. Uh, he's great in everything. He's great as Hannibal. Uh, Lecter in the Hannibal series, That I don't think I picked up anywhere. Great back in Casino Royale. He's just good in everything. I, I'm kind of just sick of Star Wars having the crutch... And every fucking story about oh it's my father or something about my father or family member, I'm just sort of over it. Okay, fair. It's it's just really just weak uh, to do that constantly, and now it's becoming almost like with these last two movies because you're gonna they are gonna find out about the parents in the regular movie, you know, uh, in, in, in episode eight, and now about the father here too. I'm just sort of like oh rolling my eyes at it. Just have her be a, a cool rogue, and that's good. I think you'd be fine there. We got roll. We got
0: Robot Legs, uh, Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always excited about Forrest Whitaker.
1: Star Parents
0: is what they should start calling the series. Star Parents? Is Star Every Parents.
1: fucking movie. Every movie is Star Parents. I understand, Parents. you know, that's part of the appeal. You know, family, you know, you have Disney. You see, But, but this is cool. You see Donnie Young kicking ass. And I like that this trailer has more of a focus also on the team. Yes. This yeah. isn't just, okay, you have uh, the main character and then, eh, you'll have some sprinkled in of the team here. This looks like more of a focus on, like, a Magnificent Seven sort of setup, where you're going to have several characters sharing screen time. At least that's the impression I get.
0: And I guess that's that's kind of what I meant. Not, you know, it was a... You, 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 got the, you got a better feel for the movie. I felt more confident in that it was going to have the look and feel that I wanted. I guess it wasn't even so much lev- levity that I meant, but it really looked like you had a band of friends kind of coming together to make this happen.
1: Sure, because if this is going to be structured and play out like a traditional war film, you have to spend a good amount of time with several characters, yes, not just one or two, because you have to care about all these characters going to war. But then, when the ones die, it has to mean something. It can't just be, "Oh wow, they just died. They're just cannon rebel fodder."
0: Yeah, because not doesn't make sense. Not all of these people are making. No, none of this I'd movie. say a
1: good chunk are going to die. Yeah, It'd be like the dirty dozen, mm-hmm. or a good chunk of you know. And the same with, same with Magnificent Seven, the majority get killed. Spoilers. It's a fifty-six-year-old movie, uh, but and, and the same with Seven Samurai. So that's how it's it's going to be. Kind of surprised, uh, well, or not, there's more of an emphasis on Darth Vader here. My wish of there not being a lightsaber in a Star Wars movie might not come to pass. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, and I do feel a little
0: bit, I'm not uh, thrilled about the presence of Darth Vader. I hope it's minimal.
1: I'm not thrilled if Darth Vader is going to be responsible for the death of Jyn Erso's dead or something. I'm just going to be like, that's
0: going to be kind of yeah. Lame. I'm going to be like, oh, come
1: on, seriously? Can we, can we develop another big fucking villain?
0: If, if he kills uh, Force Whitaker, I'm going to leave pretty
1: pretty upset. Maybe he's responsible, responsible for chopping off his legs. <laughs> Who <laughs> knows? Don't know you that. never know. You got to have some uh, dismemberment or beheading in every Star Wars film because so far it's pretty much happened. Is there a dismemberment or beheading in 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 uh, Episode Seven? That might be the first one we haven't had that. Uh, happened.
0: Star Parents Episode 1, St- amputation. Star
1: Star Parents Episode 7, <laughs> Episode 1, amputation. Speaking of that, you didn't see it as, as a quick uh, aside. Uh, Mr. Plinkett reviewed uh, Rogue, uh, not Rogue One, he reviewed Episode 7, Force Awakens, but really about Star Wars fandom as a whole right now and Disney taking over the property. And it was lovely. It was an hour 45. It wasn't a straight review of the movie. I mean, for the most part, he said, I eh, you know, it was fine. You know the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in Jersey accent. But, um, focus on the fact that there's been this really weird revisionism about the prequels being good the past ten years.
0: I've kind of noticed. I I wouldn't say in the past ten, but in the past two, I've noticed a lot more people being like, you know, they're not that bad. And I'm like, no,
1: they're definitely no, they're, bad. They're just as bad. Yeah. They're just as bad. So he attacked that, and this whole fucking ring theory thing, which I had no idea about how... how Since everything repeats itself, like poetry, it rhymes. Which even before Mister Plinkett was talking about that idiocy, uh, my friend and I in college were watching the DVDs for episodes one and two and making fun of the the behind-the-scenes for how ridiculous the production was and Lucas saying this stuff and the producer. But these theories that these movies are these prequels are brilliant because stuff repeats itself. You know, and st- and they're they're, sh- they're basically re- Im- reverse images of it themselves between one and three, and it- it's all fucking utter horseshit. Mm-hmm. It's just horseshit. And even if it was true, the the acting, the the stories, and the direction is still so fucking bad that I don't care if the structure was fantastic. Everything else sucked. Llama balls when it came to those movies, mm. including Episode Three. Which was, at best, average. Compared to the other ones, they're freaking Citizen Kane, but it's still not a good movie. That's just my side my there.
0: Alright. Now, here's another movie that I'm excited for. The guy who hates everything. Ian, did you hurt yourself today? Uh, You could set a trailer to that. You could set anything to that, and I'm probably going to like it. Nine Inch Nails version or Johnny Cash version. Um <clears throat> But, uh... Yeah, I'm excited about the Logan trailer. Um... Very, very excited about it. Um, introduces X-23. Um... And it just looks like it's going to be a very good movie with a very pissed off and old Wolverine. Um... Trying to protect his, uh... clone daughter, not really daughter. And, um... I don't know. I like the shots. I like the look of the direction. Um, Not really sure exactly where it's going to go. But this is the most excited I think I've been for a... Well, I was really excited for Days of Future Past, and it didn't disappoint, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm very excited for this. And none of the other Wolverine-type movies have excited me or gotten me interested to the point where I haven't seen any of them.
1: Oh, you didn't see The Wolverine? I thought it was pretty good.
0: No, I, I mean I should, and I probably will at some point. Wolverine's also not really my favorite X Men character, but um, the the older Logan stuff. Uh, I mean, there is uh,
1: space. Old space exactly. on no, a yeah.
0: Right? It, it, well, to a degree, yeah. Um, but old. It's based uh, to a degree on old man Logan. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to this.
1: I'm I'm sort of iffy, really. Um, yeah, uh, I enjoyed the Wolverine. Um, I'm sort of, well, okay. I'm I'm sort of disappointed that they think the only way they can ring a, a a last good appearance from Hugh Jackman is by going to this extreme where it's basically almost like the post-apocalyptic, you know, X-Men universe, and this is it for every every mutant. Because in the trailer, he said the mutants are all gone; they're all killed off, except for a very few. Already, I'm like, okay. So I guess this really is going to be the last. X-Men movie in this really muddled, fucked-up Fox universe that they've twisted around and then rebooted with uh, Days of Future Past. I haven't seen Apocalypse. I don't know what happens. It got mediocre to bad reviews. I'll watch it eventually. Yeah, same here. I don't know. I'm just. First off.
0: It's uh, a really weird way to introduce X twenty three. three. I will throw that out uh, there because that's not how she's introduced.
1: But where do you? This has to be the last in, in these movies, and where, where are you going to go from here? This takes place in the future, so It's supposedly takes place like in the two thousand twenties.
0: Yeah, so it, it, I mean, uh, it's 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 basically alternate. Yeah, it's way future in the in the actual.
1: Um, but I was excited after the Wolverine. To maybe continue, maybe not necessarily directly from there, but just another random adventure. I know Hugh Jackman; he's been playing this character for seventeen years. He wants to get get away from it, which is fine. Uh, I just didn't see the last Wolverine movie being like this. Uh, I am surfa- su- uh, surprised that Caliban, which is I guess the mutant that tracks the other ones and hunts them all down, played by Stephen Merchant, mm-hmm. really surprising. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize it first. He probably got ripped for this role or something. I, yeah, you know he's a comedic writer and actor. He's responsible for the Office UK series, uh, partially Ricky Gervais. Yeah surprised about that. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, Sorry, Patrick. Oh, that's kind of weird. I, I thought it said Syrian. It was looking up uh, something. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, Stephen Merchant and then Patrick Stewart as uh, Professor X looks ancient here. Somehow grew some hair back. I'm Not mm-hmm. sure how there. But he survived. Well, I, well, I'm just interested to see how he survived uh, all this and what he's been up to. But the movie looks kind of cheap. I'm just going to say that. The cinema photography looks great direction looks good, but it, this looks like an episode of The Walking Dead to me when I'm watching this. Yeah, but, I mean, that takes uh, its cues from the book, and you
0: have to understand that this is an incredibly well-loved version of um, Logan. Sure. I mean, it is. And I think a lot of fans are going to be very excited for this. Um, y- like... It, like all, said, it all comes y- out of the writing. Yeah, I mean, y- your, your opinion is, is, is valid, but um, like I said, this is basically a, a universally loved representation of the character. Whether or not they do this justice remains to be seen, but I, I think a lot of people uh, I could be wrong,
1: but I think a lot of people are going to be very excited for this. So where does Fox go from here, though? This is, out. is Are they going <laughs> to just say fuck it, Marvel, let's do something together? And, I it, fucking hope so! Because I, where do you go from here? This is the 2020s, there's no more mutants. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you have the TV show coming out, but that's not going to be connected to this.
0: Like I said, I mean, this was almost alternate universe, and I mean, in, in um, when when this graphic, because this this was one graphic novel. What? I they may have I think it may have been single issues, but it, it's one graphic novel and done. I mean, it's one story arc. So I mean, they could just I mean they they could push this out as a separate movie, and I mean that's it. It doesn't, it doesn't well, have to be a... Conti- if it's going to be the last Wolverine movie, sure. But, I mean, but, they, they could ignore that as a set.
1: Sure. But but there's no more regular x movies that are going to be planned. You, you have- oh, there isn't at all? I think Ap- Apocalypse is the last one. We're going to do one in the 90s. There's one in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, that's basically sure. it. That's come to an end. Uh, you know. Uh, let's talk about Walking Dead. I know, I know that you, you didn't watch the premiere. I did. I caught up on Walking Dead, like, seasons, I think, 4, 5, and 6 um, over the summer. Uh, early summer, actually. And I, not that I fell back in love with it, but after season 3, which I think I didn't watch the first half of season 3 or so with the governor, and just said, oh, this is ridiculous. Uh, because it was. Uh, got back into it and really enjoyed where the story was going. And then uh, the season 6 cliffhanger ended with, uh, which we discussed mm-hmm. about people were pissed off because it was a cliffhanger introducing, uh, I guess uh, iconic into the comic series of Negan who, uh, oversees the Saviors, which is a, their own band of people um, and so people were pissed off the cliffhanger ended with Negan ready ready to kill uh someone, someone in the group but you don't know who which I'm like, okay, that's a cliffhanger so this episode, this premiere was, was just, it just was not fun to watch. Obviously it was tense because they killed spoilers at least one member. Uh, one person. Uh, and they actually killed who I thought they, they okay, I, I'm not, I don't read the comics, but I knew they were going to kill this one person that was not the person they killed in the comics. Uh, just because it made the most sense thematically to do it. And they did. And then they killed the other one. It wasn't a shock either. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's fine, but the whole episode was just like, if this is going to be the tone of the season, I don't know if you're too if you're familiar with this part of the, the comics or not. Yes, I am. Okay, so if the, if this whole whole season is going to be just a beaten down Rick Grimes who has to deal with the guilt uh, of uh, of seeing and not being able to do anything about two two friends die, and then doing uh, the deeds of Negan and the Savior and just being a shell of himself. And not feel like a man. I mean, that's an interesting place to take the character, but I'm not sure that I'll have any fun watching that. You know, for a whole for a whole season, unless something happens to give it a jolt. Because you know, because of this Negan character played excellent, excellently by Jeffrey D. Morgan, who I'm a fan of, who was, who was one of the only highlights of the Watcher movie as as a comedian. Uh, I'll enjoy watching his performance, being sadistic and, you know, not even being over the top, just being a different sort of villain. But I don't know. I'm not saying the show's run its course for me, but... I, Every time
0: you say the show's run its course for you, though, it pulls you back in, which is what it well, does to well, well, no,
1: no, no, because this is the only second time I've started watching it again.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, at, at season three, I stopped and didn't watch it again for like three years. Uh, so... But for a, a zombie show to be on for seven years, something's got to give at some point where uh, you've seen everything can, that can be offered... Uh, we've we've done the, the whole thing with bands of evil people trying to be out for themselves. You know, we've done that with the governor setting up his own, trying to set up his own community and rule. You've done that with the the freaking cannibals eating people and, and bringing people and trapping them. You, you, you know, it, there has to be an end game at some point to this. I'm not saying the show should end now. It's not up to me. I'm not I'm not the core audience. I'm not a huge Walking Dead fan. I enjoy it for what it is. You know, a you sh- schlocky called Schlocky. It it is what it is. You it's 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 uh not torture porn, it's zombie porn at this point. Um and by the way, this episode was extremely gory, this one. Uh, I'm sure. Um so <clears throat> at some point you have to get to the end of this. Do these actors want to keep doing this for 10, 12 years? I know the comic book goes on for however many issues. The
0: comic is planned to hit... uh, Supposedly um, Kirkman has the story written out to 300
1: issues. So I'm not sure I think this is only around issue 100. This is issue 100. So in it's theory, not going to make are we, it are we going to go 21 seasons of this shit I mean honestly <laughs> I highly doubtful I have a 70 year old actor playing Rick Grimes <laughs> highly so, doubtful so I'm thinking what two three more years and all the actors get sick of it and well come on let's end it so okay that's all I'm going to say about that I'm not saying it was awful but I'm not sure I'll give it like two more episodes to see if it sort of hooks me in for this season otherwise I'm just going to you know just say right, I'll, I'll see you at the end of season 9 on Netflix and go back to watching Longmire uh, again again <laughs> So, uh, let's talk about Casey Neistat a bit. Uh, this is a political topic, more or less. Nah, it's a YouTube topic, I guess, because there was, there was a few responses that I enjoyed seeing to this. Um, so Casey Neistat is, is a really big YouTuber. Uh, I was actually not really familiar with his work before that. Um, he does travel and adventure. Uh, videos, uh, he has five and a half million subscribers. So, what what he did was a strange video. Going against, I guess, against type or against something you would have a, a YouTuber that's not normally associated with politics or, or... Basically,
0: he brought politics into his channel where he's normally never touched it before.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, straight up at the camera saying, guys, this is important. I want to talk to you about something. Um... So he he starts off with stuff that I think was totally fine. You know, he starts off by saying uh, I'm going to be voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, you know, and this is why I think Trump is dangerous. What well, you've heard this political season, uh, he's in a dark room talking about this. He says, yeah, "I don't usually talk about politics stuff, but this is what I want. I want to vote for Hillary Clinton. This is why you should go out and do it." Blah blah. blah. All right, that's fine. I don't care. You do what you ever want. Um, he actually said, uh, da, 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 I avoid talking politics on this channel on this forum because politics are divisive. There's always two sides of politics: a the Democrats, there's left and right. Uh, I can have my own opinion. there will always be an opposing one. That is the nature of a healthy democracy but that this is not that. This is about a megalomaniac who is driven by nothing but ego, a man who cares exactly zero about the people of this country, a person who brags about sexually assaulting women and shames others for the way they look. I'm speaking up now because this election has very little to do with politics, policy. Uh, or legislation. Uh, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, that's what he said. This election has to do with morals and principles. Then he talks about how he's voting for Hillary. Again, this is fucking fine. I have no problem. No, I mean,
0: this is, up up to this point,
1: I mean, yeah, that's cool. Okay. So, he even says, you know, this is more about voting against Trump than for Hillary Clinton. But this is where he kind of goes off the fucking rails here. I want to end this by calling out all the big YouTubers, some I know and some of you viewers might know. See, making videos like this, they're not popular even though this video got a shit ton of views. Uh, they're not going to get you subscribers they're not going to boost your view counts. Uh, but there is something much more valuable than subscribers or dollars and that's backbone that is not being, that is not being scared to stand up to uh, to what is right regardless of the cost. The top 20 YouTubers reach over a billion views every week, every 7 days. We have the power to activate a demographic an electorate that is typically very that isn't typically very active, that is young people. This generation, if we all band it together, we have the power to ensure that this tax avoiding lying, racist misogynist, stays away from power none of the White House, but it requires all of us coming together. Alright. Okay. Alright. So if your favorite YouTuber says things like I don't like to talk politics on my channel or I'm not going to reveal who I'm voting for, call them out. Sitting on the sidelines this time around is not okay. This election is different. And, this guy, and if this guy gets elected and you stood back with your arms folded and didn't speak out against him, it makes you complicit. It makes you partially responsible for handing him the reins of power. All right, I'll see you tomorrow for a fun, happy video. All right, Casey. You know what's uh, not part of a healthy democracy? Forcing people to reveal their political beliefs and forcing them to campaign politically. That's not part of a healthy democracy. Part of a healthy democracy, Casey, is people having the right to the privacy of their political beliefs and what they want to do. And I'd be saying the same thing if you said the same thing about voting for Hillary or Trump. It makes no fucking difference. The fact of the matter is, it's counterintuitive and counterproductive, mind you, to tell people to go after other people to endorse a particular candidate. that I I, I don't know what the hell uh, you were thinking saying this or how this is a good idea because at the very best what you're going to do is have YouTubers that don't want to talk about this even if they agree to you awkwardly going on their channel and making a, a political statement when they, they really don't <laughs> have to. It's up to them totally. You're forcing them into this strange spot and this has happened where you have now people going on to bigger YouTubers' channels and saying, why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you saying who you're voting for? And in, in this already extremely divisive election, which could be one of the most divisive we might ever see in our lifetime, I don't see how this fucking helps at all. Uh, I just don't. Um, and I, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to call out motivation here just because, and this is going to go into other directions, is that the timing is particularly weird mm. for this. If if this Mr. Nice that really fucking cared about Trump not getting into power, why did he wait until after the polls were tilted against Trump, where Hillary's in a commanding lead now, and not a month ago where Trump was basically tied or a little bit in the lead? It just comes across phony to me and disingenuous, and I just don't fucking get it. It, it, there's no advantage to doing this at all. Uh, I think it makes you look like, to me, have less of a backbone uh, doing this. And it just stirs up trouble where it's not needed. Uh, and, and honestly, if you're looking for fucking YouTubers to tell you how to fucking vote, I don't want you to fucking vote. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, to me at all. No,
0: I, I mean, that was actually going to be my main point. I don't have a whole lot to say on it. Um, at first it, you know, it's, um, like I said, I, I agree with, I mean, everything's fine. Um, but then, uh, telling people that they have to disclose their political beliefs is, um, it's, it's, it's bizarre and, and, and overreaching, but my big thing, this is how I feel Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. If you need a YouTuber to convince you... If a a YouTuber is going to convince you on who you want to vote for, I I feel like you're... You're You're not an informed electorate at that point. it, It comes down to this. I've always said that if you don't know platform policy if you don't know don't vote just to vote yes i really believe that yes people need to get out and vote more people need to vote but if you don't fucking understand if you truly don't fucking understand what's going on don't vote when i go and i vote and i get to that huge list of props and i don't know them I don't just fucking wing it. Mm-hmm. I don't just read the tiny little paragraph and assume I know what's going on. If I don't know something about, you know, one of the candidates, you know, further down the list, I don't just fucking fill in the blank. You know, I, I vote what I know. You vote
1: for the, the comptroller, if you don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I might toss a coin on the comptroller. No, I mean, I, but I'm being serious. I I believe that voting is very important, and everyone should vote. But you also need to be politically informed. And if your decision hinges on some YouTuber telling you to go vote for someone who never talks about politics. who never talks about politics, then fucking sit down and, and 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 do some. Now, if that person gets you to go out and and research. ...the candidates, and you go learn something about the candidates, and you make your decision, and that person pushed you in that direction, then fine. But I don't like this whole idea of... and and it's not just... now I'm talking broader. I really fucking get steamed when people and now it's just a general people don't think for themselves when people look to their favorite people online to tell them what they should be thinking and don't think for their fucking selves
1: sure and that's why there's a backlash between some groups when they see uh, these like celebrities you know get together and make these videos these political because it's like okay you have a platform doesn't mean what you're saying has any any weight to it really for my concerns and the same thing here with the big with big youtubers you know do I really need To hear fucking PewDiePie's opinion on politics, no, and and he was one of the guys called out. Guess what? I don't think PewDiePie can fucking vote in this country. So like why? So why why like why would I care? You know, like it it doesn't make a a goddamn difference. Um, So yeah, and I'm very proud that a proper response from people like H3, H3, and Boogie2988 said, "Uh, "No, vote forever the fuck you want to." and be informed and, and actually in those two cases say you're not forced to pick between the two political parties you can vote a third party that's what they both said, that's what I always said and that's also your option as well um, and that's what democracy is as well it's not always a for or against vote It's in theory it's supposed to be voting for who you think will do the best job and when you think you're forced to vote for one of two parties that's how you end up how we are now uh, where you're picking between two candidates that are both uh, unlikable Uh, And that's just not me saying that. That's in the polls, uh, which has never happened before in, uh, I don't think, in a very long time where you had the two candidates both under 50% in the likability factor. Whole other conversation, but good on people trying to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit on this and not, you know, calling out fucking mobs to say, oh, tell me who you believe in or who you want to vote for.
0: Hold the mayo.
1: Hold the mayo? Hold
0: the mayo. Do you not like mayo? No, I'm saying calm down. I am calm. No, not you. I, mean, I I'm talking about people in general. Oh, with, okay. With this shit. You know
1: my cousin uh, used to put mayo, globs of mayo on his pizza?
0: Um, I've actually put mayo on pizza before. That's it's fu- it's pretty good. That's fucking disgusting. It's not. I mean, I don't it's... do it all the time, but it's not
1: bad. Uh, speaking of disgusting, uh, Devin Faraci, who we brought up on the show before, unfortunately.
0: So so I'm just going to say this before uh, things uh, get get uh, bad. Um this guy seems like a total fucking scumbag. Uh, uh, the, the article is really long. I don't know who Devin Fracci is. Uh, once I realized that he said something bad about our pal James uh, uh, that that made me very angry, uh, especially in context of this article. but other than that, um, other than the fact that he can get fucked and he sounds like a miserable character, I'm really just gonna let Pat take it from here and sit back. so okay. all right Pat you've uh,
1: <laughs> fucking pulpit's well, yours well well you well you should realize as we brought him up before. Because, what did we bring him up for? Uh, because he 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 attacked James for that. No, that's what I video. said, yeah, yeah, okay, I got that. And so. so Devin Faraci, going back, and I want to link to this uh, Medium dot com article. And good on this on this author Nick Munro, who must have felt like having to take fifty seven showers after writing and researching. You're going to say fifty
0: seven shots.
1: <laughs> both after writing this lengthy article, I want a piece of slime. Devin Faraci is over the past fifteen years or so in the film community. So Devin Faraci started out, I think, on Chud as a contributor, as a <laughs> moderator, and then he ended up at Birth Movies Death as a film critic, reviewer. One one of the um, sort of, from in, in the tradition of uh, Dark Horizons, Ain't It Cool, where you have the rise of the internet blogger reviewer that gets some power because they have a website, not a traditional movie reviewer, from a newspaper. Now these guys coming up and you know they can type up stuff really quick and get it out there. And they've, they've become the new wave of, of reviewers. So Devin Faraci has been in my sort of eye line the past, I'd say, two full years uh, as being a very strong sort of anti-gamer gate voice. That's when I first sort of saw, okay, I've heard the name before. Now I'm starting to see this guy pop up a lot more, writing a lot of these anti-gamer... Articles and such, uh, but then it really sort of hit it in May when he basically wrote the article uh, uh, response to James saying I don't want to see a Ghostbusters movie because it's fucking shit. Basically paraphrasing for James, basically calling James uh, a sexist and even having the audacity to, to call him a limp dick loser on on Twitter. So uh, and this is uh, this and this goes beyond me being fra- uh, being friends with James, this just goes on to just what type of character Devin Ferracci is. Um, uh, Even before this seemed like just a loudmouth bully, someone who just got all his jollies off of just being uh, basically a a higher form of troll, but being paid for it and having lots of followers. A non-anonymous troll, you can say. This is a guy who even uh, had a, a fucking boxing match with a filmmaker because he was, he went after this guy so viciously, this filmmaker, that it said, okay, we'll just do it in the ring for charity. And thankfully, Devin Faraci got his ass kicked. Why wouldn't he? Uh, but this is both karma and irony. Since Devin Faraci has been a self-proclaimed feminist, uh, self-proc- going after others for what he called attacking women, for not liking a fucking Ghostbusters reboot. Uh, so, Trump was on that bus for the Today Show back in 2006, and this is when his uh, campaign started going south in the polls. When he was on the uh, on the bus with Billy Bush, who's actually, I believe, the nephew of the of the political Bushes, was, which is kind of ironic in of itself that Bush helped bring down Trump, but recorded about uh, grabbing, joked about grabbing women's pussies because he had the power to do so because he's Trump and whatever else. Uh, you know, obviously, not not the statement you want to be making put in a political season or not, on a hot mic. On a live mic. So, Devin Ferracci commented on this on Twitter and a twist of fate got a response from a woman who said, yeah, remember the time, and I'm paraphrasing, remember the time that you grabbed my pussy at a bar and bragged about it to your friends. Just disgusting And then Devin Faraci responded with, uh, you know, I do not remember this. I can only believe you and beg forgiveness for having been so vile. Because, yes, you regularly grab people's, uh, women's uh, privates in public and forget it fucking happened. So a cop-out at the time, he knew it fucking happened. It was so long ago he probably thought that no one would ever bring this up, but he got called in the carpet for it publicly on Twitter. And that was his last tweet on Twitter. Uh, he was shortly after removed from his position at Birth Movie's death, rightfully so, and is, and is now gone from that as editor in chief, and hopefully will never be seen again in the public eye. I'm hoping. Uh, which is all fine. Now I'm just stating facts of what happened. Uh, if you go read this article from uh, Nick Monroe again, who probably had to take a chemical bath after digging up all this shit that Devin Farashi had done over the years bully people talk bad about colleagues uh, just being a toxic toxic asshole uh, even before, this is going way before any Gamergate bullshit, this is stuff going back 10, 12 fucking years uh, attacking uh, one of the producers of the Transformers movie just really awful stuff, uh, stuff that happened in person being being drunk at uh after parties just acting like a complete jackass. This is this is why I'm bringing this stuff up is that the problem isn't Devin Ferracci? The problem is the community he was in and the people around him allowing this fucking behavior for over a fucking decade, allowing it for a dozen years and being silent about it. Because this isn't from all the evidence the first time he was awful towards a woman or just awful in general but there was this silence in I guess this film critic community that never called him out on it and allowed him not only to thrive but to be promoted and to have a a, a light shined upon his work and it's fucking filthy that it was allowed to happen and even more so and I don't know if I'm treading the dangerous ground But for him to come out as in the past three, four, five years saying, well, I'm all for women and I'm a feminist, I'm not saying there was a a more general silence because he seemed to be now an ally of the feminist community. But, you know, this is not a fun guy. Not a fun guy. Not a good guy in in general. And it seemed like him calling himself a feminist gave him an extra fucking shield of protection in order to be a fucking uh, sexual uh, assaulter. And to be uh, ignored about his past behavior, but then allowed to thrive because of that, and that's what annoys me. Because if anyone, uh, if anyone should have been called out a nasty behavior, it should have been this guy. And it's one thing to go after people for saying, "Well, I don't want you uh, censoring my games," or uh, "I don't want a female Ghostbusters movie." You want to attack someone uh, for that? For what you think are misogynist or sexist beliefs, that's fine. You know what's worse though, than not seeing a fucking Ghostbusters movie because it stars women? What's worse than that is sexually assaulting a woman. I would think that's a little bit worse than that. Just slightly. And it sounds like with this woman responding to Devin Farachi, this wasn't the first time she brought this up. She had brought it up before and was basically ignored. So... All around, a disgusting situation. Absolutely disgusting. And now you have other people coming out, and this is all public, I'm not starting to start drama, but you have guys like Bob Chipman even saying, yeah, you know, I've known about awful behavior like this in the in the past in film communities wh- or whatnot, and never said anything about that, and bad on me. Yeah, absolutely bad on you. Absolutely bad on you. Because it's one thing to say you're for uh, feminism or women's rights, how about actually acting and doing shit to protect women? How about that? If you do that, I might have a little bit more, uh, more let's just say, faith in what you're saying uh, elsewhere. So that's all I really to say about this, is that motives matter when people come out for things. And in this case, with a slime ball like this, it was someone saying, oh, oh, I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist, to cover up their fucking uh, horrific disgusting behavior overall. And so watch out, and this is for any side of any issue, watch out for predators in your ranks that say they're gung-ho for a cause when they're usually when they're doing it either out of guilt for their own shitty behavior or to get close to potential victims. That's all I'm going to say in general because uh, I've known people like this that proclaim themselves to be something but their personal behavior belies their fucking uh, shallow beliefs. That's all I have to say about that. Anything to add, Ian?
0: Oh, no, no. I, I told you that was your open mic moment.
1: All right. And we go from that. We'll go back to. A I Q- have no idea who this person is, really. We'll go to that to a Q and A time on the C U Pod cast Uh, msu hitman that's not a familiar name on the podcast Mm -hmm. thoughts on bethesda 2k and other publishers not allowing reviews of games on release date it's shitty um (laughs) well okay then
0: (laughs) it's i mean we've been seeing this kind of coming uh creeping in for a while uh you know review embargoes that uh you know uh won't allow reviews uh, until, the the until, the, um, until the day that the games are released, or until the the day the games are released, so that people who have pre-orders, you know, generally, um, basically the money's in. Even though some places will let you transfer a pre-order, the money's in and the store's ordered the copy. We've been fucked like that before. Um, but they get their money. Um... I, I, I hate this sort of behavior. Um, this lets companies rush games out and uh, basically get away with it scot-free. Um, this is a huge argument... Um, against pre-ordering and this is why they throw billions of pre-order bonuses at at you nowadays to get you to pre-order so you can get your Goldberg skin for WWE 2K17 which I purchased because it's the one game that I get suckered into buying every fucking year for some goddamn fucking reason is it better this year? Oh, it's always incrementally fucking better every year, (laughs) and it's always shitty in some way. And I mean, I just fucking play it. It was loaded with bugs when it came out, so I spent like days just fucking putting like there's like fucking fifty belts that you know every belt that ever existed in WWF, WCW, and ECW is in there. Uh, I I just ordered it, so they were all there, and it was. uh, I just I've spent hours just running like uh, King of the Ring tournaments, just putting <laughs> these stupidest fucking belts on people. Like, I think Randy Savage holds the ECW, like, 94 belt or something like that. Um, anyway. The AWA title. But it's, it's, it's just a way to sell the games before you know if they're good or a flop. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Um, Vonnie and I go to Disneyland a lot of time. Not a huge fan of a lot of properties, but I like the theme park. And there, I will see the occasional Disney movie. I really liked, uh, Zootopia. I thought Wreck-It Ralph was okay, but I, I liked certain characters in Wreck-It Ralph. I thought there was a better movie to be made of Wreck-It Ralph. I actually hope there's a sequel, because I hope they do it really well. It was charming, though. So I go and I've seen these movies and I'm like, okay, I want to find like a little something from these movies, right? And we go shortly after the release of these movies. And now you think you go to Disneyland, right? And you're going to find merchandise for all this shit, right? Because it's just come out. It's popular, whatever. And it's nowhere. And you ask these people, why do you have any merchandise? Oh, no, no, no. Before the movie was released, it was all over the fucking park. We went this time, right? Mm-hmm. And I was looking for something from Zootopia. there was nothing. But you know what you could buy all over the fucking park? Rogue One merchandise. And it's the same fucking tactic as this stuff. They load the park with this merchandise before the movies come out so that you can buy it up before you know whether or not the movie s- sucks or is really good. So it's 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 kind of the same idea. And I, I loathe it. I can't stand it. Um and yeah i mean it's 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 a very shitty practice so i mean roundabout way of saying yeah it sucks
1: but this is slightly different just because this this brings uh i guess games journalism into the picture a little bit so if this comes down to really uh, you know review copies of games and I, it's almost like you only have one strike uh, that you can fail or not if you're a game review, uh, game reviewing site or game news site like IGN or GameSpot, if they want to give you a game beforehand to release to get it out, cause you need to get those hits that day for the newest AAA release, you got to listen to them. You can't, you can't break the street date. Right. For the, for the review. Yeah. You have to wait or else you're not getting that review copy. For yeah. The next, next, uh, game to come out with. So it's, it's a shitty state we're in. Well, because
0: you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you follow their rules, you get a copy, day of release, and you can't put your review out until later. Or you break that rule once and you get that hot scoop and you get that review out, uh, you know, a day before or day of, you know, you break the embargo. And then from now on, you got to march your ass down to your corner GameStop, buy yeah. that copy, <laughs> and you're doing the same thing you would have done yeah. if you just followed their rules in the first place. You
1: have to have an end with someone who works at GameStop to give you an early copy to get your review out, you know, play and get your review out. It just sounds like a nightmare. It's, 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 uh, I'm so glad that this isn't how it works with movies. Where the best case scenario is like okay you, get, you gotta wait like a day or so before, but then you know it's usually gonna be a uh, a bad movie if they hold. <clears> that movie Superman. If they hold the reviews until like right up to the movie being right. released. Uh, with games, well, that's not always the case. That's what's so weird about it. Sometimes it's a good game and they still say you can't come out with the review until like the day before or the day up. It's really strange. Sometimes it makes
0: sense if a game has a heavy online component. like Or,
1: uh, or patches that are going to come out day one, maybe stuff like that.
0: Overwatch, for instance, wasn't really allowed to... Uh, I think Overwatch reviews were like a day or two late because they wanted to test like a full server load. Um, in that instance, it makes sense and Overwatch, you know fucking phenomenon, you know, but in a lot of ways, when when Bethesda puts out good games in general, 2K puts out good stuff in general, but um, you know, when, you know, Ubisoft is like, yeah, you can't put out a game uh, review unreleased <laughs> release it, I'm like hmm, okay, that's that's a little concerning. You don't like having the eyeballs
1: bulge out of your character and the jaws disappear? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's horrifying. Yeah, it is.
0: Alright. <clears throat> Uh, at Z Treasury. Uh, thoughts on New Guinness Record Largest Game Collection by Last Gamer.
1: You know, I've heard the the name Last Gamer time and time again. He has a YouTube channel. Uh, uh, I think he's out of uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, he's a uh, uh, a pretty big game collector. He has like a, either a whole house or wing built for his game collection. Like we're talking, like it looks like a either like a VHS rental store or a library with sh- all shelves and like aisles and stuff. So, I'm guessing he broke out Guinness Book of World Record for the largest video game collection. So, that I mean, I nothing but positivity for that. If you want to do that, that's, you know, his name is uh, Joel Hopkins. Uh, good good on you. Uh, 18,000 titles stored in his purpose-built home. Okay, so then, to me it sounds like that was built just for those games. Man, that's crazy. In the green suburban hills of Melbourne, Australia, this is a Games Radar article. So, Eighteen thousand games. He's been collecting for more than twenty years. He used to own a game shop. He used to import uh, games from Japan. I'm guessing that's how he found probably the vast majority of his games being in Australia. It's not like there's a huge thriving retro gaming uh, scene in Australia, uh, so you have to import games. I'm not sure if eighteen thousand separate games probably came out in Australia uh, over the years and years. So it's imp- it's absolutely impressive. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but what it comes down to when all said and done is that what, what is it what does that mean right now to have the world's largest game collection and what is it gonna mean in the future right uh, because as more and more consoles come out, when you look at a system like the ps2 that has by itself what 2500 games on just a single system when you look at a system like the Wii which has what well over a thousand. DS and Game Boy Advance have what? They have th- 1,000 or 2,000 each? I mean, you're getting to large numbers of systems that every five years you're going to have 2,000 games, let's just say, uh, on them. I'm not, and I'm not even counting if Guinness takes into account download titles. I have no idea if they do. I, I can't will. imagine they do. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I would
0: assume that this is for physical game collections.
1: Okay. For For physical even. Okay. It's going to get easier and easier over the next five to ten years, definitely 15, to amass a game collection of twenty thousand games or more, it's going to come incrementally easier due to all the shovelware and dollar games. Once you get to the disc era, Xbox, PS2, PS3, uh, Xbox 360, PS4, those games p- all plummet in value, partially because of the downloadable versions. Right, you know these games come out like uh, the new Metal Gear Solid games that come out; they're sixty bucks, and within a year they're like like five bucks. You know, sure. Or, so when that becomes and that will become on both of these libraries in the future, uh, for the vast majority, uh it's not gonna become as impressive. Maybe now if, if his if his collection is, you know, nineties and before, yes. But Well it sounds like a lot of it
0: is I mean, reading here it sounds like a lot of it is is new and modern or new and retro. Sure, it has to be to get to that to that <laughs> and point. And I like I kinda like his His idea on it. I mean, he seems like... I don't know. He seems like the type of collector I like. I mean, this... This sentence in particular... um, Hold on. Uh, um, Ah, shit. I lost it. Um, So this sentence in particular just kind of... uh, um, uh, this paragraph I like. Hopkins stories are drenched with nostalgia with no allegiance to one franchise or console. He says it wasn't any particular technology that captured his attention. He's not a fanboy. So basically, he just likes getting wrapped up in another world. It's partly why he doesn't care about his collection being in mint condition. <laughs> and why many copies of the games are are his own from more than 30 years ago. He points at the Legend of Zelda linked to the past card. It's my original copy. It's important to me, says. Since a few scratches don't bother him, he's happy for his young son to play with any game that catches his attention so he's preserving this is important to him it's not necessarily about status but like he just loves this stuff so i like the idea that if i were to walk into his collection not everything would be mint okay there'd be a story or something behind it. well there is some status if you're getting a guinness
1: world record plaque
0: well sure but i also like the fact that i just like the fact that it's also not you know he's he's not you know, out there running around looking for label upgrades and well, stuff like that. Well, you can if
1: you have 18,000. I'm playing Devil's Advocate here. You can if you have 18,000 games. Can you really? Have the time or... or Maybe to, not. To update all your, uh... What's to say? Your sports PS2 titles? I mean, you have to remember,
0: I literally work in a place where people will ask me to pull out 15 copies of Bases Loaded so they can get <laughs> the best label, okay? I admire a guy who doesn't need to have everything in mint condition. If that's
1: all I'm saying. What's interesting, though, is that he's created his own... <laughs> Uh, Library Museum Uh, it'd be cool if it's uh, obviously it's up to him if he can set up for the public to come in and and play games Uh, I think that's the future Uh, in terms of uh, the natural progression we're seeing, we're actually seeing it now the past few years with the Video Game History Museum the Museum of Play, other other ventures being started up for game preservation where you have these big time collections all of a sudden be transformed into museums into this is history now Man. This isn't just a weird hobby anymore. We're getting to that point, and I'm starting to think about it now. As I it towards my 40s, what the hell am I going to do? Is it worth it having games that I'll be forced to keep in a fucking bank vault? Like, what good is that going to do me versus having it displayed somewhere in a museum with an educational little placard? You know what I mean? Like, at least someone can get some enjoyment out of it, because I because I'm not... You know, you see what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying, um, and I'm not passing judgment whether he decides to do that or not. But I'm saying, in general, I think that's where we are headed, uh, more and more so. Where okay, now we, we now we've rescued all the these rare games, we, all these documents, all these unreleased ROMs, these competition carts. We we rescued them from being thrown out. We we are showing that they have value in, in terms of uh, the the historical value of this, not just hobby, of this, of this uh, culture, video game culture, and of, a, of a, the, the one of the newest uh, uh, mediums of communication and of entertainment, video games. Now what? What's the next evolutionary step? And it is museum and teaching others about it, I guess. Uh, so, this is going to be broken more and more, though, as we're going to be seeing, like I said, all these next generation Of games Until we get to that point that, hey, maybe there'll be a cap like the Super Mario World Record run where there's no more more physical games, so there'll be like a static point unless you search for every DOS game in existence, you know, and that's where you're going to be at 25,000, 30,000, you know, unique physical uh, video games. At Roll Tide 303, favorite NES titles, and did you find any games while making the book that are now personal favorites i don't know what book he's talking about ian
0: yeah, a certain one i would imagine so um jesus it's been a while <laughs> yeah uh i mean we all know my i mean favorite nes titles there we've gone through this before ducktales kirby's adventure etc cetera, etc cetera. um and but I did find some games that I really liked while uh, uh, doing uh, working on the book. Um, I don't know if I'd call any of them personal favorites, but there are ones that I, I do genuinely like. That uh, a lot, I think a few of them I, I, I owned when I had about 500 games, but I just I never paid them as much attention as I did when I had to review them. Um, one is uh, Arkista's Ring, which is uh, yeah. just a little top-down game where you control a, a little female elf. And you walk around, and there's just these little maze-like levels where you have to, you know, kill the enemies and find the door to get out. But it's interesting because the the, the background graphics change a lot. So while it's a simple arcade game, it it it, it, it does feel like you're on like a little RPG-like journey. Uh, kind of a simple little game made by American Sammy. Um, I like it. Uh, like I said, uh, quite quite a quite a bit.
1: Give it three stars.
0: Um, Phantom Fighter is, uh, one that I, I think I reviewed for the book, and I think I tried to review it more objectively, but I actually personally, um, liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's just a very simple game. Um, you can upgrade your moves. Um, there's different, I can't remember what they're called now, the, uh, like the, the, the equivalent of, like, a Chinese vampire, um, but you uh, you upgrade moves, you train, and you go from village to village, clearing out uh, you know each village of these uh, different like hopping ghosts, and then. Uh This, I think, May... I was introduced to it, I think... I've never owned it. I think I was introduced to it to the Marathon. I don't think I reviewed this one for the book, but uh, Formula One Built to Win is a cute little F1 simulator with kind of like a little anime aesthetic. um, Some nice options for upgrading and things like that. And uh, I I learned to uh, enjoy that one quite a bit more, too. So those would be kind of three games off the top of my head that... Um, I I I like more after working on the book.
1: I didn't review it, but I played it uh, in terms of looking over. Ashton actually reviewed it, and she did uh, lots of good reviews for the book. Excellent writer. Uh, Frankenstein: The Monster Returns is a really fun game, and ha- it has some really goofy elements. To I
0: it. was actually thinking of that one uh, too. Uh,
1: um, there's some really cute little weird cutscenes. On a map with Frankenstein taking taking the girl away. Yeah, and it's actually a pretty competent uh, game, with lots of different like little environments and some fun attacks and little weapons you get. Uh, Felix the Cat, uh, just a lovely game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, it's amazing that well, it's not amazing because that game's shop in value, but. I can't remember anyone at the time that either owned that game or played that game.
0: No, it went like unknown that? for ages. Um, I would say for the first seven years I worked at Lunar, at least the first six, it was like a fifteen dollars game all day, and then it shot up to like fifty. And I don't even know what it's what it's at now. I know it's not cheap.
1: Uh, Dragon Fighter, rare game, you don't ever see it. Uh, that one really surprised me for how well done that was. That's the one where you you know you side scroll. You know, hacking and slashing, and then you change into a uh, change into a shooter, really as a dragon, and that's that's sort of a original sort of unique idea. You don't, you don't really see much in the library. Um, yeah, you know, just just going through. Uh, how about Chiller? Now, uh, Freedom Force, really fun shooter, really tough shooter, uh, kind of a bloody shooter uh, when you play it. Um, and then you know, there's the library so big you can just go all day about one to sort of surprise you. But that's what what was so good about it was that you did come across games like that. They're like, oh, this would be a fun game had I known about it or had time to play it more. Uh, absolutely. Um, or ones maybe you didn't play enough. I remember one of the first ones, actually this one of the first games I reviewed which is a really fun game that no one really talks about it, is Iron Tank. Iron Tank's just a really fun, you know, <coughs> uh, shooter. You're, that it, It's it's almost like uh, SNK took the, the, one of the only good parts of uh, 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 Akari Warriors and made it a full game. Yeah, the the tank mode and it made it its own game. It was like, Oh, this actually works as a title. Uh, so it's just stuff like that that was it was fun in in the book or, or rediscovering games like Little League Baseball, where it's like a kind of a forgotten sports title. Like, oh, this is a really fun game based upon the Baseball Stars engine, basically with some little minor twists uh, here and there. And who can forget the fantastic Master Chew and the Drunkard Who? Uh, just a lovely, lovely. No. <clears throat> no. 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 So and then there were there were games that I think uh were were big on concept but not in execution like Motor City Patrol. Where I was like, this could have been a really freaking cool game, but mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't pass the mustard. Uh you know. You know, stuff like that. Or Pictionary, which is a design nightmare and just really awkward with this mini games. So that's it. Did I hawk the book enough for this segment. Mm-hmm. It's right here. Wait for the app. The app will be fun when the app comes out. Trust me. All right.
0: Ian asks, Hey, on the as punk. Have you been watching WWE? What do you guys think about SmackDown being better than Raw as of lately?
1: All right. I haven't
0: been paying attention.
1: <clears throat> I haven't talked about WWE in a couple months, I think, at this point. Weeks. Oh, uh, really? release it? Yeah, we've we we've, we've been trying.
0: I've been trying to get back into it. Raw, you have been.
1: I went to SmackDown live a few weeks ago. It was fun. yeah. Um, Raw right now is in a weird state, but it really shows you needed that brand split. You really did because before SmackDown was like, like a placeholder show. You really need to watch mm-hmm. even before uh, a pay per view or, or event, whatever they call them now. You didn't need to watch SmackDown like Raw took care of it. So they needed to do the split, the, the brand split, uh, for two reasons. One, SmackDown didn't fucking matter anyway. And now SmackDown's live, which is a lot better. Uh, too many good wrestlers. Too many good wrestlers coming up through NXT and adding a full-fledged female division uh, and plus a cruiserweight division. So all those reasons you had to do that. But it's a shame that the cruiserweights are on the three-hour Raw, and not SmackDown. Because I think SmackDown, it would appreciate a lot more with Daniel Bryan there. Uh, you know, kind of a cruiserweight in his own right. And he's one of the guys that did commentator, uh, commentating along with that uh, Mano Ranallo, who... Did the Cruise Classic and now but he's not talking about them on SmackDown. So it's just kind of weird. Mm. So right now the cruiseweight Division is, is sort of uh I don't want to say it's failing, but it's directionless. You have uh the champion uh what's his name? CJ 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 uh Perkins with his video game theme, which is fine, but the video game fucking talking is, is terrible. Like and when he's talking to Brian Kendrick, who's awesome by the way, I love that Brian Kendrick's back. The only reason to watch Cruise division, he's like, dude, you don't get the extra life for that, or you can't just hit the pause button. It is fucking awful. The dialogue <laughs> being written for him, it's a fucking joke. I understand you have a cute little video game like intro and theme. Doesn't mean you got to talk in a video game lingo. It's, lingo is it's fucking awful. Uh, that said, uh, the Chris Jericho Kevin Owen stuff is some of the best funniest stuff. Like Jericho, this is like Jericho's I guess I guess third life in WWE you could say. He had a second life when he was like the corporate suited up champion like six, seven years ago. Uh, and now it's him back as he has this fucking list of Jericho he got over where he carries on a list now and says, You know what? Like you just made the list when when someone pisses off. And somehow Jericho gets it over and it's and it's fun. And Jericho's actually been better in the ring the past month or two. Nice. Getting his ring rust off. He's forty five, remember been yeah. wrestling for fucking like 24 years or so. Um, so, so Raw's in a weird spot where it I don't think they know. What, it's not really, it's not going well. You still have the Roman Reigns-Rusev feud has been going on for fucking ever. Uh, and Reigns still isn't that over. Uh, and Rusev's doing a good job as a heel. But SmackDown's fun. SmackDown has arguably the best wrestler in the world in AJ Styles who has probably done the best you could have possibly done for within a year uh, carrying that brand on his back. He's the number one heel probably in the company, even, probably more so than even Kevin Owens on Raw, and having four to five-star matches with, with everyone put in his way, um, and just doing a bang-up job as, as the top heel. Um, the women division on SmackDown is a hell of a lot better than it is on Raw. Mm-hmm. Raw has Bailey on it, who... She was supposedly really big in NXT. She's not doing anything on Raw. That's a it, shame. She's really good. It's, she's been directionless. Um, and then you just have Sasha and, and Charlotte being the, the only story on Raw. While on SmackDown, you have like three different uh, stories in the women's division going on at one time that aren't all revolving around the belt. So it's actually they're doing a good job with less time, with hmm. two hours. So it's actually just a tighter, better uh, done show than a three-hour show. Um, that said, the biggest news was Goldberg returned cut the promo, probably the best promo he probably ever, ever cut, even in WCW. Um, full of emotion, I want to be back. Basically saying this is going to be my last match against Lesnar. And so people are like, holy shit, this is, this is nice on Raw. And they followed up with one of the worst segments, the, the I possibly could, saw that they wasted Brock's fucking appearance, bringing him back in his fucking home state and hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he's going to be over no matter what. And Heyman trying to work the crowd to boo Brock Lesnar. It was just the most tone-deaf thing I've ever seen. Uh, They were saying Goldberg sucks on TV after he came back to a thunderous applause the week before. They should have just not had Lesnar on that show and just and just ignored it they're trying to make Lesnar the you know the heel just really bad like like they ended it just abruptly and Heyman just walks out with Lesnar and everyone was like confused like what the fuck did I just watch like what I don't understand the point of it you have to watch it it was the most w- bizarre segment especially with Paul Heyman who usually knocks everything out of the right. park it was just <laughs> bad just badly conceived and barely uh followed through but that said there's some good stuff going on because you have a a lot of talented wrestlers. You have uh, some people lost in the mix, like Sami Zayn, who's fighting Braun Strowman. Um, and, you know, you have some weird shit, like you have Randy Orton uh, still fight, fighting uh, fighting Bray Wyatt. And Bray Wyatt, they're trying to figure out how to get him wins and get him to be a viable threat, but it's almost like, you know, two years too late for that. Ziggler probably uh, having a second resurgence, winning the IC belt against The Miz, which is probably one of the best stories of the year and Miz working a super Miz has been an MVP probably the last I'd say year and a half uh, and really not getting there now he's actually finally getting the respect he deserves being a classic heel because that's been missing in WWE forever so that's what's been going on but yeah Raw's been not not well done and SmackDown has been doing much better Uh, you can kind of you can almost tell that there's hopefully two different writing teams and they are competing because it's showing in a much better product on SmackDown so nice uh, at Retro Q Gaming, updated predictions on the retro gaming bubble to burst. How have things changed since the last prediction? We haven't had a prediction in at least a year, I think, at this point. Um,
0: I I mean I don't know. I mean let's just put it this way: the last time we did uh, inventory uh, price changes for NES, um, the upward movement on Uh, The more expensive games was uh, smaller than it usually is, and the amount of games that went down by a few bucks was a lot more than it usually is. Um, I think we're just kind of hitting that ceiling where people just aren't going to be paying more for a lot of these titles. And, uh, I mean... We're
1: not going to see a $70 Contra.
0: No, we're just not going to. Um, And, I mean, as fun as Portland was, I mean... There, there's people. That, I mean, you know, someone came up to me at the booth and wanted to talk about it, and they're like, "Why am I seeing like twenty copies of Earthbound here with two hundred dollar price tags?" And it was interesting because I had just had this conversation with someone earlier in the uh, earlier in the week, and okay, so. We haven't had an earthbound in the store in a long time. Um, Prior to that, we had like five within two months, uh, the January and February after two Christmases ago. Okay. So 2013. No, 2014, January and February, 2014. And they all flew off the shelves. And the reason why I don't think we've seen a lot of them come back in is because I think all the people who really want to. Because the Earthbound thing was a craze for a while, right? I think most of the people who want to own a physical copy of Earthbound at this point have found it. Um, So you've got all these people who picked up these, you know, bought up these copies of Earthbound, uh, assuming they paid fairly for them for a high price. Uh, and are still trying to offload them at two hundred dollars to make their money back, when the market just isn't there anymore for a two hundred dollar copy of Earthbound for,
1: for a game that's not rare.
0: Yeah, I'm not feeling great, but am I, am I making some sense here? Um, the number the number of
1: sellers holding inventory is starting to outpace the demand to get rid yes, of that inventory. Thank you. There you go. Which is what I wanted to comment about at Portland Retro Gaming Expo, which is probably it's the bi- biggest retro gaming convention if not in the world, definitely is in the US, uh, in North America. That's probably the ground zero for what's going on in the hobby at least to me. Obviously it's in uh, it's in the, the corner of the US but you get sellers from all over. It's a very good barometer. Very good barometer. So I've seen it. I've seen just through that convention the hobby changed the past six years. Yeah. From 2011 to now. Going from in 2011 a smaller area with probably three to 500 people, to this past year with, what, eight to 10,000 people, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. And 200 vendors, 80 to 90% of those which were, were retro game vendors. Yeah. So, what you have, then, are vendors pricing at or above eBay for their prices at a convention. And, no, they're going to sell stuff. Absolutely, because people are going to come there to sell. Uh, which isn't the argument I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the volume of sellers that we have out there right now, whether it's brick-and-mortar stores, but mostly combined with online dealers. Some of those were online dealers that came, probably most were online dealers that came to sell there. You have so much, quote-unquote, retro game inventory that's in the hands of sellers right now at this really weird rate where there could be, not saying it's definite, but there could be this tipping point that happens at some point because we're not making new NES games anymore what happens when if 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 there's even 5% or 10% more retro games in sellers hands these are not games they want to keep they want to move these games what happens when you have more games to move than buyers to to buy them what happens I'm not saying overall number of games but what happens when you have 20% more uh, contras than remaining people that need a contra Right, because you're never gonna get to the point. Yes, some contras were thrown out. Lost. You're never gonna get to the point where there's gonna be a number of people that uh, want a contra now versus the number that wanted it back when it first came out. You're not gonna get to that point. Sure. Um, so what happens then when people realize that or say, "Okay, I'm out. I don't want your fifty-dollar contra or forty, whatever it was, at the show." I didn't even notice. What happens? Are they force Well, they, they they're forced to drop the price. Does Confidence then go <clears throat> for just that game? Does it go
0: for a bunch of other games? It, I mean, it depends. It could start a bit of a, a domino effect.
1: What happens when right now you have a pure speculative market on games, I'm going to say those late any, uh, late release title games like Little Samson, mm-hmm. is one of the main reasons that that game's $1,000 because you go to a show like Portland, you can find 10 or 15 of them for sale? Yeah. Well, I guess
0: that's, I, I didn't, you know, and that's exactly it. Like I didn't finish my statement. So the reason I feel like I don't get earthbounds in anymore is because San Diego's taken care of for earthbounds. Very few people call me up and ask for it anymore. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who are asking just want to know if I have one. They then say, I've already got my copy. So the market's saturated. In San Diego, the people who want it have it and they're not selling it back to me. But you go to a place like Portland. And that's not the case for all these sellers. And then the, I'm sorry to, to finish the the story. The the person who was talking to me about you know how they're seeing like you know like 20 Earthbounds now you know with $200 price tags. I forgot the most important thing they said was last year and the year before I couldn't find an Earthbound here to save my life. And so you know that's the thing. Now all of a sudden there's a glut of them, and you know at these you know at these conventions you could probably walk in and trip and fall on an Earthbound, just like you can walk in and trip and fall on a little Samson. If you want a little Samson, you can find it at a convention,
1: no problem. I can find it. This is a the problem. <clears throat> um, there are thousand dollar games that you have a hard problem finding, which to me means that they're more a lot more rare than these ones are. Just getting swapped around between mm-hmm. seller and buyer you go on eBay right now I see one, two let's see, these are real ones three, four let's see five, six, seven seven authentic little Samsons that are priced over $1,000 seven of them Then you, I'm not even counting the complete in box ones they're going for a few grand or the seal one they want $30,000 worth $7,000 games. The rarity is not lining up to the demand versus the price at that point. Mm-hmm. That, to me, tells me that that's a purely speculative market at that point. Purely. Because, like I said, again, <laughs> again, it might come down to game versus game, like you said. You can have $100 games where maybe it more reasonable, so those will get actually bought more by collectors. But once you see a game like that, where there's seven at one time available at a thousand dollars, that's just a game of chicken at that point. I want one crack a beer, and sit tight. Yeah. Um, I, again, that, that again, that doesn't mean every game is going to crash. That little Samson at some point that's coming down. I think that has to mm-hmm. at some point, whether it's this year, next year, three years. This isn't a fucking steam event scheme. We have to search high and low. This is a game where again we could have bought five of them in fucking Portland if we wanted to. I can buy 10 of them online right now. And there's probably sellers doing that like that fucking Game King guy and buying 20 and driving up the price. That's a bubble. That's speculation. Again, it's going to vary system to system. But, like you said, there will be a point where people don't want to pay uh, $50 for a common game like Legend of Zelda. It just is, it ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. People have to worry about themselves, worry about life, and just get a fucking flash card and be done with it and just say, okay, buy everyone. I, I'd rather have money and go on vacations and not eat ramen for the rest of my life and and still enjoy video games so hey American Express card members you don't want to miss this now through December 31st there's a big reason for you to shop small at local stores in your neighborhood learn more and enroll your eligible card today at AmericanExpress.com slash shop small offer terms apply Ian are we doing an unboxing we're good for now
0: we're good for now
1: we'll do it some other time we're sorry we haven't gone to unboxing your cool stuff. We haven't done it for a few months. We'll get back to it. But we're kind of tired and exhausted. But thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you. Like us and subscribe. We're on, what are we, Podbean? We're on iTunes. We're on uh, Stitcher. Not, I was
0: supposed to say Switch. <laughs> we're on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> we're on that Switch joint, the Kill Switch.
1: Uh, we're on all those. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash pixelsickle. P-X-L-S-I-C-L-E. And if you want to advertise with the good old podcast, shoot an email to cupodcasts at thepunkeffect.com. Our NES Marathons coming up November 12th and 13th. Uh, go to nesmarathon.com.
0: And don't forget that my pal Pat Contry has a certain NES guidebook.
1: You know, I wasn't going to mention it, but it's available at ultimatenes.com. Ian's check is in the mail uh, for that mention. What's the CPM on that mention? Um, and then I'm going to be at Retro Game Con on November 5th and 6th in Syracuse. So for Ian Ferguson. That's me. I'm Pat Contry. I'm recording with a new computer that made sounds by itself, and I, can't, I still can't figure out how the hell it works, but I think it's going to be cool. I'm excited. Yeah. I uh, don't
0: have those problems <laughs> with my <okay>. same computer. <laughs> what are you trying to say?